What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Hot Takes Only. This is episode 29. Willie, we are one episode away from three decades worth of episodes, and I don't mean by years. We've been doing this for like three or four on and off, so really only a few months if you consider basically September the the reboot of the show. But anyways, episode 29. Willie, welcome back. What's going on, man? We got a lot to talk about. I'm really excited, bro. Really excited. Yeah. So usually we do these shows on Thursday nights, but due to stuff coming up in life, uh, we had to push to a Friday night for Saturday night release or Saturday morning release, most likely. Uh, so it doesn't matter when you're listening to this, we recorded it a day late, uh, and it actually kind of worked out because, um, not necessarily in a good way, but because we do have some news that we want to talk about, uh, specifically with baseball and, uh, the passing of Hank Aaron that was, uh, announced this morning and growing up as a Braves fan, when you go to Turner field, when I would go to Turner field as a kid, you'd see, you know, you'd see the legends like Dale Murphy, Warren Spann, um, the the big three Glavin, um, Smoltz, and Maddox. Of course, that was a little a little later after they retired. Of course, um, but there's always one that that loomed larger than life, and that was Hank Aaron. I mean, Hank yeah. Aaron was when you think of the Atlanta Braves in the '70s, you think of Hank Aaron. You think that iconic uh, retro jersey. Well, nowadays retro jersey with the A and the red, white, and blue and the the lowercase A. It's um, it really is one of the more, I guess harrowing days in baseball history because you realize how big of a figure he was not just for the Braves but for all of baseball yeah um he he is you know I I think that um he's definitely one of the best players that ever lived like you said one of the best in in the franchise and I think just the when you think about the home run record you know I think that that's one thing that will stand in you know, awe, and when you when you talk about the power generation, right? It was, you know, growing up, all you'd hear about is like they're trying to break Hank Aaron's record, and so his legacy as a power hitter, I feel like, in some ways, paved the way for the generation of of baseball players that you had, um, come up, and now we're in we're in the era of power. Yeah, and you think about the circumstances in which he uh, broke Babe Ruth's record of seven fourteen. Um, you think of someone, a uh, a black baseball player in the city of Atlanta, the birthplace of Dr. King, and one of the hearts of the civil rights movement. You think about him breaking a record held by Babe Ruth, who's one of baseball's icons, but also just one of, uh, you know, an American icon, really, in, in the, the early 20, 20th century. And the the figure he carved for himself is so much larger than just that of a baseball player. Not only was he one of the best to ever live, but he was just one of the best people to be around the game and one of the best ambassadors for the game. Not just what he did, but how he did it, how he went about his business, how he played the game and the way in which he lived his life. Um, You know, he was 86. And as as someone who grew up reading about Hank Aaron and, and watching old footage of him. What you know, breaking the record uh, that day in, in April in in the 70s or. Uh, just you know the the history of of who he was as a person, who he was as a player. Um, you kind of get not necessarily awestruck, but you think about how how big he was truly, just to, to one franchise, let alone the entire sport. And we're all going to miss him, of course. But you know, heroes are remembered. Heroes are remembered, but legends never die. So yeah, great line. Um, yeah, and you know, for me, um, 
you know, it's interesting you mentioned watching old footage. I mean, Hank Aaron was one of the ways that I, I really got interested in sports in general. You know, growing up, my first introduction to sports was through, you know, baseball and watching clips of Hank Aaron, old clips of Hank Aaron hitting home runs and just seeing, you know, stats on baseball cards and looking up the records and stuff. You know, I used to watch old, you know, old stuff of him. And that was like my first kind of introduction to sports. And, you know, when you asked me who I thought the best baseball player was, I didn't know that many. I'd say Hank Aaron. (laughs) I, I honestly I honestly wouldn't have thought. Uh, you'd say Hank Aaron, but th- it's not a, you know, it's not out of the question that he was one of the greatest of all time. And yeah, I think yeah. the the biggest the biggest thing with him and the discussion of who the home run king is depends on what you believe about the steroid era. Mm-hmm. For my money, and this is this take has evolved over the years. He's still the home run king, but not because Barry Bonds was a mm-hmm. known. Um, steroid user and was surrounded by an, uh, by a group of of players Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, who used performance enhancing drugs. It was more so because he was a member of the Atlanta Braves and he mm-hmm. is part of the history of not just the Braves but the city of Atlanta as well. And mm-hmm. so that's something that for me he is still the home run king, even though Barry Bonds may have the actual statistic statistical record. Uh, Hank Aaron has that title for for me, and I, I think that'll continue as long as as long as someone uh, as long as no one passes him. If someone else passes yeah. him, which I don't think will ever happen, just because of the, how good baseball players have gotten since uh, since two thousand what was it two thousand seven two thousand eight when Bonds broke the record. Yep, it, mm-hmm. the game has evolved so much. Players have evolved a lot, and I don't think we're going to see seasons of guys hitting 40, 50 home 40, 50, 60 home runs every single season for like ten seasons because that's what it would take. To, to break the record. I mean, you, you need, you need guys to hit 50 home runs a year for like 15 years. Oh, and he played, I mean, to give you an idea of how incredible it was actually, um, he actually played 22 seasons. Yeah. He played 22 seasons and hit very well. And so you're right. He didn't put up quite the massive home run totals we see today, but to break 22 years worth, like you said, mm-hmm. you're going to have to play, at least 10 seasons but even if you're if you play 10 seasons i mean we're talking like you've got to be the league leader in home runs every year pretty much so i mean to to get to 700 you need to hit 70 a year for 10 seasons i mean how many players these days i mean no one ever really does that except for you know right so i mean you could hit 50 for 15 or something like that yeah but even then it's just incredible i mean can you imagine someone hitting 50 home runs a year Oh, you know, in, in yeah. one season these days, let alone I, in I fifteen seasons, that breaks that puts you at seven fifty, and then you have to hit five more to get to seven fifty five. So it's, no, it's Hank Aaron sure. was good at baseball. End of story. And he was no, for sure. an even better person. When you hear stories from President Obama, who had a, a little tribute to him on Instagram, uh, hitters like JD Martinez and Mike Trout, mm-hmm. all throughout the sport and really throughout sports you talk about hank aaron and the legacy that he left in spite of the blatant racist abuse that he received as a black player in the south and that's something that i don't think gets talked about as much as it should sure yes folks will kind of bring up the argument that oh you know he he was praised as a player because he was so good i mean that's not necessarily the case when you receive death threats because of the color of your Mm -hmm. skin you're not exactly dealing with something that 
you know, we're not dealing with a level playing field, if you will. And so it's something we, we do need to address. We need to think about a little more often. We talk about Hank Aaron. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's really important to highlight that. And when you see the progression with diversity in baseball, his legacy stands is, is even more important. You know, we, we, we celebrate that in, in baseball today, but he was one of the people that really paved the way for that in that sense. And I definitely agree that he doesn't get talked about in the same way for a reason that, you know, Roberto Clemente. And- so we're talking about the impact that players like Roberto Clemente, you're saying, had on the game of baseball. But Hank Aaron doesn't get mentioned in that discussion as much as maybe he should. Um, and, you know, when we talk about icons like Jackie Robinson, Satchel Paige, Bob Gibson, Willie Mays, we need to mention Hank Aaron in the same breath. And I feel like he just doesn't have that notoriety that other other players have specifically players, black players and Hispanic players uh, like Roberto Clemente and and the long list of Afro Latinos as well. So there's definitely something to, uh, to think about when it comes to the legacy of Hank Aaron beyond just the sheer statistical dominance that he had over the sport. Yeah, absolutely. And it definitely should be talked about more. So, uh, you know, definitely fitting for us to talk, spend a good bit of this podcast talking about Hank Aaron as a, you know, with the resident Atlanta fan as one of the co-hosts. So truly, you know, a sad day for, for baseball, a sad day for sports, but you know, I guess uh, we go on. Mm-hmm. So in that, in that kind of same light, we do want to talk about free agency a little bit, and there's not a whole lot in baseball. Uh, of course, in the off season, the, the kind of big free agents haven't signed Bauer and Real Muto remain unsigned, but there has been a slew of moves, both signings and, trades that we do want to talk about um number one is this is kind of the biggest uh fish on the market if you will who is now off the table uh and that's george springer mm-hmm. springer is uh signing with the blue jays for i think six years 150 million dollars something in that in that neighborhood and it tells you that the blue jays are really serious about making a run at uh, taking down the Yankees and the Rays for you know the top two teams in the American League East, and I think it's it could be a really good move. Um, Springer's already won a title; he knows what it takes to win. He's uh, a proven performer in the postseason as well. Uh, the only concern, of course, is when players decide to sign a new contract and get acclimated to a new situation, especially in uh, a pandemic. It, it there's a lot of uncertainty that does have to go with his deal. Uh, that said, I think it's still a really good signing and it's a statement of intent for a team that's hungry to get back to, uh, back to where they were is certainly in the early nineties, but also, uh, earlier in the 2010s when they went to, I believe it was back to back ALCSs or something along those lines. So yeah, I like the signing. I, what do you, what's your, what are your thoughts on Springer? Oh, I love, I love the signing. I think, um, you know, this, this makes Toronto one of the, I mean, already an incredible offense, one of the best, arguably the best MLB offense. Um, I mean, him, him in that lineup alongside Bichette and, and Biggio and Teoscar Hernandez and Vladdy Jr. is just going to be incredible to watch. Um, and I would say that this is the kind of, of thing also, uh, another thing that's important to look is they had a really bad defense last year. Mm. And Springer is one of the better center fielders. And so... You know, defense is a part in the MLB that's very important, but I think for the casual fan, it doesn't get talked about. So it's he's he's really going to help them a lot in that area. And so I think this is a slam dunk, and it just made the AL East a lot harder. Yes, 
the AL East is looking like it's going to have three playoff teams again next year and not uh, that's not even with an expanded format. That's with the standard um, six teams from each league or mm-hmm. sorry, uh, four teams. No, five mm-hmm. teams from each league. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I do like the signing as well, uh, you know, and it's it's one you're going to have to keep your eyes on as well, not just based on will he still be the, the George Springer that the Astros have had for the last few years or will he be an even better player as kind of the guy on on that team, the the veteran who's won a championship. He's been around for a little bit. He knows what it takes to win and he produces on the field as well. He, he also leads by example. So I think that's it's a statement of intent for sure by the Blue Jays. Speaking yeah, of, and you, can't oh, sorry, ignore, you can't you can't ignore the the leadership aspect. Mm-mm. It's really young. No. They have some veteran pitchers, but a really young team, and so hopefully he can teach them how to win. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely something we're have to, we're gonna have to keep an eye on as well with this signing. Uh, Michael Brantley, George Springer's teammate for the last couple of years in Houston. Uh, the rumor was before. Uh, the news became official that Brantley had also signed with the Blue Jays, uh, but that turned out to be uh, not true as he went back to Toronto in, or back to Houston. I'm sorry, in a two year deal. Uh, again, this is like the Springer deal. It's kind of a slam dunk. Uh, I don't think there's any any disputing that Michael Brantley is one of the top. I don't know, top five hitters in baseball right now. Just yeah. uh, just being an all around good hitter. I think he and and yeah. D, DJ LeMahieu, who we'll talk about in a second. Uh, again, no no brainer really. Yeah, um, Brantley had uh, the highest on base percentage of any any Houston player, and also hit over 20 home runs in a shortened season last year. And it was especially important. You know, they're going to get Alvarez back. But it was especially important. You know, with the loss of Springer, and th- this is a team that uncharacteristically really struggled uh, at at the plate last year. They were in the bottom half of the league in a mm. lot of offensive metrics, and so. It was added as important, and he's definitely, like you said, a top five hitter in the MLB. Yeah, I wonder wonder why the Astros struggled last year. Yeah. It it may be the absence of a certain uh, article or a certain um, a certain container used to deposit uh, waste, um, and it, it you know a certain individual using said container to make a lot of noise. Uh, when when they identify what the opposing team is going to do, uh, in English that means uh, someone sat in the clubhouse and was banging on a trash can every time the opposing team would try to throw a, a breaking ball, <laughs> so they know either to swing or not to swing. Uh, yeah. I just love clowning the Astros now. It's it's going to be with them for basically the the rest of this con- the kind of rest of this generation, if you will, uh, until you know Correa retires, Altuve retires, all that. Uh, that uh, that commotion surrounding uh, the trash cans and the buzzers and all that, but uh, yeah, but yeah, no, they, I, they deserved it. They yeah, they do. It. And but going back to what you're saying, though, I definitely, you know, Brantley is a good hitter, regardless of of any any shenanigans. Yep. And again, it's it's just a smart move for the Astros, and I just you know, as a neutral yep. fan, I just hope they get pooped on, and Brantley ends up doing really good for a really bad team. I loved Brantley; he was great for Cleveland. Yeah, it just goes to show how much talent Cleveland had and wasted. Uh, the masochism has already begun, my friend. <laughs> yeah. It's the uh, self-deprecation. Right. Uh, we had a three-way, three-way trade as well. I know you want to talk about this one, where the centerpiece going uh, from the Pirates to the Padres, yes, or the Mets? Um, all, all, all of them. Yeah. 
or no, where did where did Joe Musgrove end up? Because he's the centerpiece of it. Yeah, he he went to um, the Padres. The, yeah, San Diego. So we'll uh, we'll let you take this one away because I know this is one you wanted to talk about as well. Yeah. So Joe Musgrove, he he's a really talented player, and you know he at the end of last year he pitched very very well, and this is one of these moves. If you're a team, and you 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 kind of go based on the upside, you say. At the end of, of last season, like when he pitched, he was sensational. And he's got really good stuff. He's got a very good curveball. And this is the kind of move where, you know, this is these are, this is one of these under the radar moves mm. where if you you know, he you could potentially take a flyer in him and you could slam it out of the park. And it makes the Padres very dangerous. And also Joey Lucchesi, you know, Mets need some pitching in the bullpen. And so, you know, Lucchesi is just another piece to round up their team. Obviously, they, they really struggled back into the bullpen. And so mm. just another piece for them. Overall, I think it was a, a really good trade for both those teams in an already great offseason. Yeah, it, it's not the sexy move. It's not Bauer signing somewhere. It's not Real Muto signing somewhere. It's not a big trade for, you know, a top three starter. But it's quietly very smart by San Diego. Uh, having already yeah. traded for Blake Snell and you Darvish in the same offseason within a couple days of each other. So yeah. I like this deal. Uh, I think it's, it's you know, again, it's high upside for the Padres who yeah. have designs on taking down the world champs in their own division, which, you yeah. know, it rarely, I think, do we get a situation where a team that makes the World Series will have this much I guess, instant competition from a division yeah. rival. I mean, yes, you don't want your rivals to to be successful because you want to one-up them. But this is a case, you know, outside of maybe Red Sox-Yankees, yeah. this is maybe one of the only times we've seen uh, direct rivals of certain teams go out and be as aggressive as San Diego oh, has yeah. decided to be this offseason. I mean, I, I think it was what... Sorry, I think it was before, 2000, uh, before the 2009 season. Yeah. Uh, after, you know, the Red Sox won in 07 and the Yankees... Miss, they, I think they missed the playoffs completely in 08 or they, they got knocked down the first round, one of those two. They did, yep. Uh, and so they went out and signed AJ Burnett and CeCe Sabathia in the offseason for a ton of money, uh, as well as Mark Teixeira, who was yep. one of the best hitters in baseball that year, and they yep. ended up winning the World Series. And he was an awesome in, player. Yeah, he was a good player for the Yankees mm-hmm. as well. So again, we don't we don't see that kind of thing, but I, I like it. We're making baseball fun again. This is going to be crazy just madness in the NL West all season uh if if there's 162 <laughs> games as we uh, anticipate there's going to be 18 19 games of pure mayhem between the Dodgers and the Padres and I can't wait that series was a lot of fun to watch and imagine it for 19 games that do to you, me is most think, exciting I mean and I uh, not only it does is that a great comparison it really does remind you of those teams I think they're all going to be good players but think about the do you think this rotation has a starting rotation for the Padres is a chance to be if Musgrove pitches the way he did last year, has chances has a chance to be one of the best we've ever seen. No, I, I totally agree. I think that the elements are there, the experience is there, the talent is certainly there. Yeah. And the question and, yeah. The question is just gonna be can they stay healthy? Can they stay consistent? Mm-hmm. And can they stay, I guess, focused on the common goal, which is beating the Dodgers. Yeah. Consistency is the key. They yeah. got to pitch well at the right time. They need them right. They need them in the playoffs. Yeah. And, you know, they got to, you know, they could maybe move some of the bullpen, but you're right. Consistency. That's the key 
for, for all these guys, I think. Yeah. Speaking of consistency, there's a player next that we want to talk about who has been literally the epitome of consistency his entire career uh, signing with the Minnesota Twins. That's Jay Happ. Um, he was with the Yankees the last couple of years. And yes, yeah. he's on the wrong side of 35, but he's, you know, he's going to be one of those guys like Rich Hill was a couple of years ago who he's been around the block. He's been up. He's been down. Yeah. He's kind of, you know, in a, a weird point in his career where he's still got a little bit left in the tank, but he's not the the starter he was three four years ago mm -hmm. uh I, I i do kind of like the signing but uh yeah. there's something about the twins that they just haven't they haven't really done kind of the the moves you'd expect from the twins at least in the last few years i mean i think i think in the last few years the only really major acquisition that i think we can we can talk about as a success was kenta maeda and maeda was wasn't exactly he wasn't great in the playoffs this year in the, the one start right. he had or whatever it was it was bad, but um, against you know the Astros, and yeah. Stuff, but but yeah, no, I think um, you know, you're right. They haven't made a ton. They've they've gotten some guys through the system, but this could be actually one of their biggest, like you said, acquisitions. I mean, Kenta Maeda was a good one in the sense that he was very good in the regular season. He really showed. He was way better than he was with the Dodgers, and. Um, you know, now with Jay Happ, he actually had a pretty good season last year. He, um, his ERA was uh, 3.47. I looked it up, mm. and uh, you know he and so him and if Jose Barrios and and Happ and um, and Maeda can pitch okay, then all of a sudden you know it gives the Twins a fighting chance in the postseason. Where in the past you kind of look at them and say, you know, they can make the playoffs, but once they get in there, they don't really have a chance. Yeah, so, and I, you know, under the radar. Right, and that division is is up for grabs too. I mean, I yeah. don't think there's a clear front runner in that division. I mean, Chicago is yeah. probably going to be looked at as the favorite, but you have to I, look I at. Would, I'd have to say though, you know what? I'd, I'd still have to say Minnesota just because they've won it the last couple of years. That's true. They got to be knocked off their perch. Yeah, that's true. But I, I think just based on the moves they made so far in the off season, I think yeah. the sure. the consensus will be that folks like the the white Sox chances to win that division this year you know that yep. said they still have to get past the twins and um you know it, it looks like it'll be an exciting division and i don't think cleveland's gonna be that far off i honestly don't think they're gonna be as far off as you think they might be uh you know this this might be a case of me being higher on cleveland than you are and you being higher on atlanta than i am so yep. I, I do remember you had the braves winning the world series last time we recorded this up the this podcast so we're yes, gonna we're gonna mark this down as uh, January was it January fourteenth, twenty twenty one. Willie calling the Braves to win the World Series. We'll check in in October if that's even the case. Who knows yeah. what's gonna happen this year? Hopefully. Um, well, let's hope those are true. Let's yeah. hope both of them are good. I would hope so. Um, mm -hmm. Speaking of stuff we talked about last podcast, we kind of featured DJ LeMahieu as one of the the yep. names to look out for uh, in. Uh, in the offseason, you know, where would he sign? Yeah. He was reportedly fed up with the Yankees and, and their approach yeah. to to re-signing him. And uh, literally the next day, I mean, that Friday morning, last Friday, uh, he signed with the Yankees. <laughs> so yeah. all of that that hoopla for nothing. I think it's just the Yankees trying to trying to hardball him as best they can and get the, the lowest possible price, knowing full well that sometimes you just have to throw um, your internal valuation of a player out the window and just go with the market value or above market value. Um, and kind of meet, meet somewhere in the middle of what the player wants versus what you want. So, you know, it, it's mm -hmm. kind of, it, it kind of was about to be one of those things that's like, why, why didn't they re-sign LeMahieu? That's kind of one of their biggest deals. And now, obviously, they have re-signed him, so there's no real 
question at this point. Yeah. Well, you're, no, you're absolutely right. I think um, they, you know, they were trying to get him at a discount, and they did. And the Yankees had to save with the pandemic and everything. They were supposedly trying to get under the luxury, luxury tax bill. So, I mean, for a player like that, they really got him at a discount. And I think LeMahieu was trying to use other teams' interests to increase his price. But, I mean, I do feel bad because you would not think the Yankees would underpay for a guy like that, but they did. No, definitely not, because he's proven over the last, what, yeah. five, six years, he's one he's of the top hitters in baseball. Such a consistent hitter. Yeah, them. and you can't Absolutely. you can't overstate how important that is to have a guy who's not only good, but consistently good and consistently towards the top of the league in whether it's batting average, hits, RBIs, on base percentage, extra base hits, OPS, et cetera, et cetera. I'm yep. pretty sure he's he's near the top of the league in all of those categories, uh, or at least, uh-huh. you know, within reason that he got paid the money he did when he first signed with the Yankees and now uh when he he re-signed as well. So I think it's you know it would have been funny if they didn't resign him, but they did. So it's you know it's all mm-hmm. water under the bridge now for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple other deals I want to highlight. Uh, these two aren't as major, I'd say. I think they're they're quietly yeah. solid acquisitions. Uh, but Jose Quintana is the Angels. I think yeah. we've talked about the Angels needing pitching for what the last five, six, seven years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and. Um, you know, obviously, uh, losing Tyler Skaggs uh, in the in the way that they did was a really, really sad story. Um, yep. But because you thought they had they had something, they had some consistency with their rotation. Um, but now it looks like they're getting a guy who's been quietly consistent, but maybe not on the level that he was expected to be with the with the Cubs and, and with the White Sox before that. Yeah. Uh, I, I I like the deal. I'm not huge on it, but it's it's something that the the Angels kind of need. And I think they'll they'll get it yeah. more well, more often than sure. not. Yeah, like you said, I'm not I'm not huge on him, but he's he's a he's like you said, he's a pretty good pitcher, and the Angels really need rotation help. They had a couple uh, starters last year that were okay, but as a whole, their rotation is definitely not good. And believe it or not, Quintana is probably the best, so he will slide in there and be the best. And you know, the Angels at least. You could say with this deal, maybe get fringe playoff status. Yeah. And, you know, you want to see Mike Trout in the playoffs, obviously. That's kind of the bottom line with with baseball fans who who don't really have a stake in the game. Mm -hmm. Mike Trout's the one player you need to see more of in the postseason. And Mm -hmm. I just want the Angels to put a better team around him from, you know, from a neutral perspective because he is the best player in baseball. And I don't think you can really mm-hmm. dispute that the AL MVP these days or whatever league he ends up playing in for the rest of his career, probably the angels uh, is it's the player not named Mike Trout MVP award, mm-hmm. you know, no, unless, unless it's of course an injury March season, then yeah, you have to understand it's, it's going to go to someone else, but usually it's did someone have a good enough season to be like, okay, we can't give it to Mike Trout again. Yeah, it's it's so, you're absolutely right. The media gets bored giving the MVPs to Mike Trout and LeBron. Yeah, <laughs> and they, pretty much <laughs> they got to they got to rename the award best player not named Mike Trout or best player not named LeBron. Um, yeah, it's not exactly. quite the case in the NL, but it's a little bit. It was a little bit like that with the uh, with the Cy Young in the NL with with Kershaw. It's like, all right, who's who's not named Clayton Kershaw? Who we can give this award to? 
Yeah. Um, and for a while, I mean, Scherzer was in that, in that conversation a lot, but the Nats have kind of fallen off in the last couple of years, which yeah. you really you really hate to see. Well, okay, not a couple yeah. years, but last year specifically. Yeah, I mean, last year was a shortened season. You never really know what would have happened if it was a full season. But yeah, you're right. They did. They did fall off last year. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Kike Hernandez to the Red Sox. Um, I, I, I guess I just saw the terms of the, I think it was two years, $14 million, which, mm-hmm. you know, that's about what you'd expect for a player who's been kind of a super utility guy, his entire career with the Dodgers. Um, yeah. never really a consistent starter, obviously provided a pretty clutch moment for them in, what was it? Was that game six or game seven? Oh, it was game um, seven. Game seven, yeah, yeah off the bench against the Braves. They're down. They're down. Hits the home run off um, Smith, Will Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, he'll be remembered for... What do, what do you think, Owen? I mean, what do you think about this and how it impacts the Red Sox? I mean, the the thing with the Red Sox this year is it, it's going to be looking at the development of guys like Alex Verdugo and yeah. Rafael Devers. And yeah. because you think of the leader of this team right now is Xander Bogarts. And yep. he's approaching thirty, and so who are the who are the best players behind him? Um, obviously, they've been talking about dealing Andrew Benintendi pretty frequently to you know get under the luxury tax threshold. Um, it's really just trying; they're trying to clean up the mess of the Dave Dombrowski years, and you yeah. know, as we've seen with certain franchises, that's really hard to do. Um, namely, with the Detroit Tigers, who haven't been anywhere near what they were when Dombrowski was in charge and before their yeah. their organization kind of fell to pieces um it's it, I, I don't know what to make of it honestly i mean he's going to provide leadership he's going to be a super utility guy he's probably going to start more in boston than he would have in you know had he resigned with the dodgers but it's, it's you know it's kind of a low risk deal too he's only sure. two years yeah so no, it is. it's a little steal. he's definitely going to provide leadership um, and help mm-hmm. them but i actually think you're right i mean dombrowski definitely left a mess and love to hear your thoughts on that but i actually think you know it, it's perfect I, I could see him in second base you know uh sliding in there for peraza alongside um devers and bogarts you know who are two particularly devers just a really good player and um and then all of a sudden you know if ben Intendi has a good year Jay Martinez has a good year. You know, they got some pop in that lineup. So Yeah. I mean, assuming yeah. Ben Attendee doesn't get traded before the start of the season, which it last week they well, were the reports were saying he's gonna get traded by the weekend. That didn't happen, and we've already yeah. been uh, you know, a week after. I'm assuming they're gonna hold on to him. Yeah, but, I mean I mean, wow. Watch be... watch trade news come out literally tomorrow morning that he's been traded yeah. to some some other well, American league team where his his bat can be useful when he's actually, you know, able to hit the ball. I mean, I I feel like it's just like when you have these guys like, you know, like I said, Alex Verdugo is a fantastic player, but I just feel like having guys that were on the World Series team, just I always feel like it's good to help with the culture of winning. When you've mm. got the culture, it probably is going to take a while to rebuild that. And so, you know, I, I'd i like to keep them if I were the Red Sox. But yeah. you could also say in the division where the Red Sox probably are going to enter as, you know, the worst team on paper, um, you know, you can well, say yeah, besides Baltimore. Oh yeah, besides Baltimore, so second worst. But you know, fourth, fourth out of five. Yeah, um, not great, but still, yeah, I, 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 you're you actually hit the nail on the head there. There's no reason to believe that they're going to mount a serious charge for the the division title this year. I mean, I think 500 would be a good season for the Red Sox, yeah. but you know, but you never know. Is baseball's baseball's weird like that? You know, the Padres Absolutely. could end up being the worst team in baseball. 
-hmm. and you know the Orioles could be a wild card team. Who knows? I mean, baseball's baseball's just weird, and that's why you play the games. Games are played in person, not on paper. Uh, The last couple deals, um, one of them is is kind of a flyer. Well, we addressed the Blue Jays a little earlier, but we'll talk about Kirby Yates as well. The Blue Jays kind of taking a flyer on Kirby Yates, trying to see if he can get back to his previous. uh, I believe he was an All Star. he was form, a couple seasons ago uh, yeah. as a closer. Yeah. So it's bullpen help. It's what the blue Jays need. If they can get the best out of him, if not, then, you know, it's, it's a low risk, low risk deal. Uh, I, I think it's, it's good. It's trying to address the needs they have without going yeah. and spending too many resources on it. I mean, I think they spend all of what they could on Springer, yeah. uh, which isn't a horrible thing to say, you know, but it, it doesn't fill all the needs. And I think there's, there's still a wild card team at, mm-hmm. at this point, but uh, you know, again, who knows? But I, I like the deal. I like the signing. Me too. Yeah, no, I think um, I actually like some of the pieces in their bullpen already. And um, absolutely, I think, you know, he'll probably revert back to the mean. You know, last year he didn't, you know, end up playing that much because he started so badly. But you figure he'll revert back to the mean somewhere. And it gives them a competent player in the back end of their bullpen. So I, I think it's definitely, like you said, a, low, a good low-risk investment for them. Yeah, and the last one we want to talk about is speaking of low risk investments, is Jerks and Profar going back to the Padres? Again, I think the only team we're talking about in the offseason right now is the Padres. Yeah. They're just stealing all the headlines with the trades, the free agencies, the free agent signings. That is, uh, I would be surprised if they went out and splashed the cash on one more play, one more big name, uh, or mm-hmm. at least move some prospects for for a big name. And you know, again, it's it's the Padres going for it. They're, yeah. they're you know. I like you know, it. I, I'm, I'm happy for for Jerkson Profar because, um, you know, Jerkson Profar was what, – what was he? I mean, he might have been the top prospect in the uh, Rangers at, system. At one I mean, point, yeah. At, at one point. Um, you know, it's funny. Um, <laughs> on a side note, uh, two guys which were, I think, heavily uh, – Really, really high prospects. One is Connor Resurrect, his career. One still yet to be determined. <laughs> Two of my favorite guys, Profar and Luce Brinson. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, Profar quietly is, has made himself into a, a solid player. Not an all-star, but pretty good hitter. I mean, he hit, all, I think, 280 last year. Obviously a great fielder. And just a really good, solid signing. That, mm-hmm. That's a guy that'd be really useful on any team. And absolutely, um, you know, for the Padres. Uh, yeah, I mean, th- this team is uh, is loaded, absolutely loaded. And, you know, it can never hurt to also have a veteran or what, like him on the team trying to win. So, yeah, it's low risk for sure. I mean, I don't yeah. I don't see there being all that much uh, fuss if he doesn't uh, end up panning out as he did last season. But yep. who knows? You know, it's just yeah. one of those things we'll have to keep an eye on. And it, it, it's it's keeping the Padres in the national conversation, which I think is always good for baseball when you have teams that go through periods where they're, they're not really playing all that well. And then all of a sudden they they get back to, you know, being in that conversation, because I think they haven't really been talked about this much since Tony Gwynn was on the team and the late great Tony Gwynn, that is. Yeah, I, absolutely. On this team, um. They, you know, this has a chance to be as good as they were with Tony Gwynn. And, you know, maybe last year, kind of their first really good year. And maybe this year where they break through, you know? Yep. Yep. It's just something we'll have to watch as well. 
Yep. So a lot of free agents moves in baseball and, and a lot of news just in the baseball world as well. Not all of it good, of course, but, um, you know, that's, that's comes to the territory of, of, you know, not only living, but following, following a sport as expansive as baseball and with so many players and so many legacies. And, uh, again, you know, we can't stress enough how much Hank Aaron means to not only both of us, but all of baseball really. So, oh yeah. Losing an icon um, truly. He really, really, really was cannot underestimate that enough. Yeah. Of course. Switching gears a little bit to the NFL. Uh, So obviously we talked about this last week. We talked about uh, you being excited for the Browns and Chiefs game. And it turned out to be a lot closer than I think a lot of people were giving the Browns credit for. Um, Ultimately, the Chiefs are who they are. um, And Mm. not just because of Pat Mahomes, but having Pat Mahomes doesn't help. It doesn't hurt, rather. And I think, you know. In in any other year, if Cleveland has one or two more years of experience of of making the playoffs and being consistently good, they win that game. Yeah. But it's just I think it's just a young team that's kind of getting a first taste of playoff action. I mean, beating the Steelers the way they did was was good for the confidence. Um, and I think they're they're not going anywhere. I don't think. Um, you yeah. know, of course, barring injuries and and changes that you just can't predict as as a sports fan um i I like it for the browns i like it for for not only you and your dad but my brother and my dad and and Mm -hmm. you know all the cleveland fans who have suffered for the years that they have them and and the bills as well um it's just good to see them back in the national conversation and um you know i i think the future is exciting and Yes, the loss, it, it hurts, and you know it kind of leaves a sour taste in your mouth, but at the end of the yeah. day, you, you took the Super Bowl champs to the very end of the fourth quarter, and that's more than most teams can say. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it was a really gritty effort by Kansas City. Props to them. I thought their, their defense has been pretty underrated this season, and they, they played really great defensively in that game. Uh, I anticipated the Browns being able to put up a lot of points, but, you know, some of their big players, Frank Clark and, and Chris Jones, had some good pass rushing. Honey Badger had a pick. You know, Hitchens had some good plays. So credit to them. But, yeah, in terms of the Browns, I mean, uh, I, I think, you know, this was the start of something. Um, you know, next year I think we're going to hopefully draft some some players to improve the defense. And, you know, Baker will be more even more comfortable in Stefanski's system. But it was definitely – one of those losses, I think, you know, you always ask yourself as a fan, would you rather have a team that just gets blown out or losing a close game? And, and those are the kind of games where I think the answer is definitely the former. You'd rather lose in a blowout. Because there was just so many reasons why that game was was so tough. I mean, I just thought Stefanski had a really bad coaching game. I thought the offense and defense at times executed very poorly. You know, obviously, I think the Browns were – you know, part of the game, but they were a victim of a of a bad call that cost them seven points. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, it was a very tough game. And the NFL success is never guaranteed the playoffs. But on paper, the Browns should be even better next season. And so, you know, as a fan, I'm very proud. And but it is sad because I really felt something special with this team. Owen. I, I honestly really felt that this was going to be. I'm not surprised at all by the score. I thought we actually had a really good chance to to win. I just had that feeling. And, um, and so anytime there, you have that special feeling about a team, it's tough, but, but who knows, who knows? We'll, yeah. we'll see what the future holds. Right. I mean, what was the last time you had this actual belief about a team that like, we, we can do this. We can, we can go in there and we can 
shock the world. We can do this. When was the last time you had had that feeling about the Browns? I mean, that I think is the yeah, most important never, takeaway. Never in my lifetime. I mean, even you know, we made the playoffs once, 2007. Um, but with this team, I felt you know, and I still feel you know, on any day can beat anyone. Um, and so, you're right. It's it's such a it's such a positive, but it's just in the NFL, it's so tough because unless you're on Tom Brady's team, the reality is that most fantastic teams um, really just a lot come up short all the time in the playoffs. So when you have those chances and when you factor in the fact that, you know, Mahomes is a young player, you know, Josh Allen's a young player, you know, Lamar Jackson's a young player. The, I mean, the fact that it's, it's they're going to always be there. So when you have that chance, you got to kind of beat them. So in that sense, it's also tough. Though. Yeah. And and you and I were talking about this last episode. Would you rather, you know, again, would you rather lose a blowout or would you rather lose a nail biter? For my money, you always want to lose a blowout because you have the least amount of time within the length of a game to be disappointed. If you're disappointed yeah. within the first quarter, first half, fine, whatever. You can get yeah. over it. Second half, you can have a couple have a couple drinks. You know, chat with your friends mm-hmm. and and try to forget mm-hmm. about what the score is. And, and you know, if it's a one sided mm-hmm. blowout, it might just turn out to be funny. And that's the that's the one mm-hmm. thing I can't stress is sometimes you just have to laugh. If if you are if you're watching your team fail miserably and it, it hurts. Trust me. I know mm-hmm. I, I've, I've seen the Falcons blow a 25 point lead in the Super Bowl. Don't tell me I don't know about pain. Um Mm-hmm. but you can, you can laugh at it almost. And that's, that's the important thing. And, and yes, yeah. you know, looking back at this game for the Browns is not going to be a great feeling, but they're going to learn from it. I think they have a good system in place, a good coach in place. And I'm excited for uh, what yeah. they do with this team next year. Yeah, absolutely. And I do just want to say something real quick, which is just like, I think, you know, things happen and, and so sometimes, you know, like you said, you know, the first half of the Browns, I thought, when you consider the call and the way they played, went all about as poorly as it could go. And I was kind of laughing. I was like, man, that's how this is, right? You know, like this happens sometimes. It's funny. You're going to laugh it off. But then just the way Cleveland rallied in the second half mm-hmm. and, you know, had the ball with the chance to take the lead in the fourth quarter, it's just like that makes it even tougher because it's like, you know, if they had gotten steamrolled, like you said, you could have laughed and said, yeah, that's sports and just got beat by a much better team. But now it's, you know, much more ambiguous. And so, you know. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things, I think, where, you know, the the whole stigma of, you know, Browns going to Browns is starting to fade away a little bit because you look at them yeah. beating a division rival who had won how many games in a row against them. Um you go from that to beating them in the first round of the playoffs a week after you beat them to get into the playoffs. Uh, you know, that I think is huge for the confidence of the team going forward. And, and also just the way they kind of mounted the comeback they did in the second half, Yeah, you know, they obviously came up short, but these are the defending champions for a reason. And it's not just one player, obviously. Um, of course, who who would have thought Chad Henney would be the guy to, to rescue the chiefs when uh, Mahomes went down with a concussion, which by the way, uh, he said he passed concussion protocol. Mahomes did. Um, it, I'm honestly not sure quick. the NFL still quick. has a handle. It was quick. It was yeah. Quick. It was a quick turnaround from a pretty serious concussion when he stumbled getting back up. So it, it, you know, 
that's for another thing entirely. It'd be interesting to have yeah. a um, a neurologist on on the show, someone who's who studied the brain specifically as it pertains to um, mm-hmm. sub concussive hits, like in in football. It'd be interesting to have one of those on the show and and, yeah, and pick their brain about way. about yeah. what it's like. Um, it was amazing. I mean, they were like, I'd love to hear what it was like, and but it's crazy because it's just like even afterwards, they were pretty quickly. They're like, on Monday, they're like, we're optimistic he's going to play already. And, you know, it's like Mahomes apparently was feeling well, but I don't know what that means. And so I'd love to figure out. Yeah, feeling well. Is, uh, does, he, does he know what he is, not just who he is? Um, yeah. That's that's the starting point, obviously. I mean, I'm, I'm joking, yeah. folks. But seriously. And I, I do want to say uh, one one other thing. Yeah. I want to talk just in terms of the, the, uh, the referees and stuff. I think it's important um, to... Um, really, and it's hard. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm as a fan. I'm very upset because it was a pretty blatant blown call. But I think, hum, you know, <laughs> officials just like any of us are human. You know, everyone yeah. makes mistakes, and th- these things are just part of the game. And so, I think as a fan, just as a normal fan, casual, right? We have a tendency to try to blame for out outside circumstances and um but that's life you know you should never try to do that in life even though there are different circumstances you should try to take as much inward thoughts and and blame as possible and um and so while i do think that did have an impact to the game you know it's it's part of the game and all across different sports we see all kind of blown calls mm-hmm. and so you know if as much as this call did stink you know, we'd have to. I'm sure we could, we could develop a list of critical calls in all kinds of playoff games. Yeah, so I mean, that's kind of my feeling. You want to go up and down the list of of times that officials or bad officiating has impacted the results of a game yeah. in every different sport. You'd run out of out of paper. Uh, you know, trying to run it down on on one page or two pages. You, you know, it it's an extensive list, and the the fact of the matter is, the reason we don't talk about these individual calls as much as uh, you may you would might you might think. Um, and this is yeah. obviously twenty six year old me, you know, saying this uh, something that say fifteen year old sixteen year old me wouldn't really understand is that you have the same amount of time as your opponent to achieve the same goal, and yes, there's a human element of it and where one mistake can be crucial, but that one mistake can go against the other team too. You never know. So you can't, you can't leave it up to chance. You have to control what you can and let the rest, uh, take care of itself. And I think it's, it's just one of those things where, yeah, it's not great and it, it leaves a sour taste in your mouth. But ultimately, you know, in this case, specifically the Browns got to a point where I don't think anyone thought they would be at the start of the season. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, you know, it, it it does still hurt, and to to be in that position where something feels like it can impact the the final result, I think the yeah. one thing to take away is that that's that's not always the case. And yep. um, so I think it's it's important to have your you know your chin up and and focus on the next one. And I think that's yeah. that's exactly what the Browns are going to do. I think Stefanski is a smart enough guy to realize that you know the team wasn't supposed to be here. You know, regardless of what yeah. he thought of of his players and what he thought of the organization. Yeah. Um, they yeah. they made a lot of really important strides this year, and I'm excited to see what the future holds, honestly. Absolutely. 
I think I think that's very well said, Owen. Yeah, and I, I do want to preview the uh, the championship games on Sunday as well because I think we have two pretty interesting storylines. Yeah. Um, sure. One comparing both AFC and NFC, and just in general, uh, what what we have between the two. I mean, we could spend hours talking about this, but we don't we don't talk about the NFL mm-hmm. as much on this podcast mm-hmm. as maybe other shows. Um, but the AFC championship game, uh, the Chiefs hosting the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills are playing an AFC championship game. Mm-hmm. That is something I never thought I'd say in my lifetime. I mean, they, they've been awful in my my entire lifetime. Yeah, uh, you know, and yours as well. It's, it's ridiculous, honestly. Like, it, I, who yeah. would have thought the Bills would be one of the top two teams in the conference? And who would have thought the Browns would, you know, be right. one of the top teams? Um, yeah, it's a, it's just an incredible story. On and and you know, I like football a lot, and you know, just having a special affinity from them growing up in upstate New York, you know, the bills are the closest pro team to us. And, um, I have, I've always had a huge affinity for them. You know, I, I was a Browns fan, but I always had a special interest in them. You know, I, I, a lot, I have, you know, a handful of friends that are big fans, uh, some which would like to come on the show, uh, and talk about the team. Um, and, and yeah, it's just amazing to see. And I think that this, you know, one of the cool things about sports is the stories. And this story right now is the best story that we have going when you consider the heartache that Bills fans got when they lost four Super Bowls. And so, yeah, and like you said, being being pretty lousy for about 10, 15 years. And so, yeah, it, it's it's really exciting. And, and uh, man, if they can beat Kansas City at Arrowhead, that incredible. That would be maybe the story of mm-hmm. – the season, the the, the yep. 2020, 2021 NFL yep. season. I mean, I don't think there's any any doubt that the Chiefs are going to be uh, the Chiefs are favorites, and they should be. They're defending champions. They're still, mm-hmm. you know, all the pieces are still there. I don't think there's anything any reason to believe that they won't be mm-hmm. the Kansas City Chiefs that won the Super Bowl last year. Uh, but you know, that said, I think this is a different animal altogether. You know, mm-hmm. you have a quarterback in Josh yep. Allen who's proved that. It, it can be done. You can be yeah. the, the white Michael Vick, if you will. Um, it, it, in all seriousness, though, I'm, I'm excited for this game. I'm excited to see what the oh. what the result is and what, what it kind of comes down yeah. to. Um, I, I think it's going to be – I think that there's two – as a casual fan, there's two things that are going to be really, really exciting. Um, number one is that I you obviously have – well, you have, I'd say, two of the top three offenses – in the in the NFL, Packers being the best this season, and so I think from a neutral perspective, this game on paper is going to be an incredible game. And then also, just you know, you look at a young quarterback like Josh Allen, um, had incredible regular season in the MVP race. That passing offense is putting up all kinds of crazy numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, Stefan Diggs is leading by every category. But you know, Josh Allen hasn't quite looked himself in the postseason, and last game for the first time you really struggle and in the postseason it's a lot tougher you know windows tighten up defenses play better and so I'm curious to see you know can he be superman and and lift them he's gonna have to they're gonna win this game he's gonna have to have truly like superman performance and so I'm excited to see excited to see what what he brings yeah no I am as well and I think yeah. It'll be a tough challenge, but if they're able to do it, it'll be because Josh Allen from the regular season shows up, not postseason Josh Allen, which, yeah, you know, 
it, it can be tough. Of course, I mean, sometimes it takes time if if you've never really played in the postseason. It takes time in your first, you know, one or two, uh, you know, goes of it might not be great. I mean, look at Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson has not been good in the postseason in, in either year. So, Terrible. and you know, and he's consensus one of the top three quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Yep. You know, Absolutely. so I don't think there's a I don't think there's a an issue necessarily with Josh Allen. It might just be the the youth of it all. You know, not all of us yeah. can be Pat Mahomes and yeah. and just yeah. kind of come out firing. I, I do think though. I do think you know. Um, part of it is I do think it is like I said. I think in the postseason, things really tighten up uh, in terms of throwing windows, and so you know Josh Allen did struggle with his accuracy. So that's a little bit of concern. It's just in the regular season, things are a lot easier. You're going to have, you're going to be able to get much more open players. But I also do think just getting to the AFC championship games, a huge for a young quarterback, you know, part of it's mental, you know, Lamar Jackson got his first playoff win, but you know, he had, he hadn't won a game in the previous two seasons. And so just for him to get the monkey off his back after losing in the first game last year, that's just big for his mental approach. In future years, he can he can be unleashed to be his best. Yep, yep, totally agreed on that. So should be a really interesting game. Um, mm-hmm. Shifting over to the NFC, though, this yeah. is uh, I don't think a lot of people were surprised by this. Maybe they didn't expect it, yeah. but uh, Tom Brady and the Bucks against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the you know through the better the the better part of our lives. That's been kind of you know two of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, you know, Tom Brady, obviously, with six Super Bowls is stupid, stupid number of Super Bowls. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, probably the in terms of raw talent, the best quarterback of this of his generation. Yeah. Um, it it's going to be a good game. That's all it is. I mean, I think playing in in Green Bay is going to be interesting, but, yeah. you know, they went into New yeah. Orleans. I mean, the yeah. Bucks went into New Orleans and they 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 did the damn thing against the saints. So what, what reason is there yeah. to believe they won't do the damn thing this against team, uh, the Packers? They, yeah. I mean, I don't think they will. I think the Packers are going to win the super bowl and, and uh, are just on another level from any team. But um, you're absolutely right. I mean, you never go against Tom Brady. Um, and uh, you know, there are so many interesting stories and it'd be truly an amazing accomplishment if you could win. So, you know, I actually don't ultimately think it's going to be a very close game, but certainly coming into the game, you know, you would not bet against Brady uh, making a great effort. And so, man, you never know. I mean, but if they if they could win this game, it would truly shock me. I mean, it would truly, truly shock me. And uh, there's a there's a, a lot. I will say this. I think um, Aaron Rodgers has as much on the line from a legacy perspective as any athlete I can think of in a recent time. Mm. You know, the reality is that Aaron Rodgers is, you. some people say, is the most talented quarterback. I don't think it's a stretch to say he's the most talented quarterback of all time mm. um, and one of the best. But he's come up short in the postseason a lot, and he's one in four in NFC Championship games. And so when he's – this is his best team – Probably, you know, uh, and so, you know, if they lose this game, I truly believe it removes him from any type of GOAT discussion. Hmm. If he loses this game. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that that's kind of the the 
consensus with Rodgers is that yeah. yes, he's really talented, but he hasn't won a lot. And and that's the kind of that's the one thing that I don't love in sports, especially team sports, is we talk about the influence one player has on a team game. I mean, yes, one player can have a big influence, but it's not all down to them. I mean, we don't we don't talk about Messi not being one of the greatest of all time because he hasn't won the World Cup. We still have right. in that conversation. So I think it's the same with Aaron Rodgers in a sense. Uh that said, you know, sure. If he does manage to, if he doesn't manage to win against uh, against the the Bucks and they don't win the Super Bowl, I think it, the discussion is going to be there because I think this is out of all the teams left, the Packers are probably probably one you would you would never want to bet against. Yeah, no, I think I think the difference. I I would agree you wouldn't want to bet against them, and I, I just think the difference uh, you mentioned between Messi and stuff is you know it's just like in you know these American sports where it's single elimination tournament in soccer, there's you know, it is true that is a tournament, but obviously, you know, the national team is still a smaller part of a sample size compared to club. Right. And so I think that it's just when you when you look at the playoff sample size for Aaron Rodgers and you see the amount of times that, you know, they fall short, um, it does enter these con- these goat conversations. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's something you do have to consider. Yeah. No, no question. Definitely. I think it's it's again. We'll have to wait and see. We'll, you know, it, if it happens, you know, Rogers is one of the greatest of all time. If it doesn't happen, then you know, it's maybe the most talented squandered. And and yeah. you know, to draw a comparison to someone else who was talented but maybe squandered it, we talk about Dustin Johnson. And Dustin yeah. Johnson is going to be a, a Hall of Fame uh, golfer. You yep. know, but you think about the talent, the pure golf athletic talent that he has how many majors he could have won um if the you know the non-golf aspect of his career uh had been had been different but again we we can't we can't know for sure but it's one of those things where watching them play is fun and from a neutral perspective you want to see the greats do well unless your name's tom brady in which case i hope brady loses um that's there's definitely no salt in there whatsoever definitely not salty about super bowl 51 not at all. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, it's it's one of those things. And and the parallel I wanted to draw with the AFC championship game is it's it's old versus young in as far as the quarterbacks. You have two of kind of the old yeah. guard and two from the, the new it's so generation. Exciting in that sense. And yeah. I think I just think um like you said, two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, probably the GOAT, Tom Brady and Two of a chance to be two of the best quarterbacks of all time that are young, and so mm-hmm. I think if you're a football fan, this is just an incredible, two incredible matchups, and yeah. I think we should cherish these games yeah. for a long time. I do want to say one thing real quick, which mm-hmm. is um, I really do think that you nailed the Dustin Johnson comparison. I mean, I think like when you look at the amount of tournaments Dustin Johnson has won, I mean, he's won every year for like since what he pretty much since he came out on tour and pretty much yeah playing and not suspended and it's just absolutely incredible what he did but you're right in the majors he had a lot of close calls and uh but now he got that second one i think that's the thing for rogers right it's very similar constant regular season success and accolades postseason tons of great teams just got bounced out early and then like i said one and four in the nfc championship game the one super bowl 
time they did win and the Super Bowl win was really early in his career mm. when they were wild card. And so um, if he could get a second Super Bowl, that would be huge for his legacy. And similar to Dustin Johnson, you know, it puts him in a whole new uh, category. Yep. Yep, definitely. So it's it's really yep. exciting. And the Super Bowl, no matter no matter who you root for, is going to be exciting uh, just in the quarterback matchup alone because it'll be it'll be one of the the new guard, uh, you know, Josh Allen, Pat Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, et cetera, et cetera, against you know either arguably the greatest of all time in Tom Brady or one of the most yeah. talented of all time, certainly maybe one of the greats in Aaron Rodgers. So yeah. if you're a football fan, you're going to love the Super Bowl no matter who makes it. Um, I probably won't be as thrilled if it's Tom Brady, but I, I do have personal reasons. I'm not talking about Super Bowl 51 at all in the slightest. Not Definitely not talking about the time the Falcons blew a 25-point lead and said Super Bowl. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. Wow. God, I hate football sometimes. <laughs> I do want to move over to soccer, but any final thoughts about uh, this weekend's games before, uh, before we do so? Yeah, I, well, I should just mention real quick. Um, if you remember, I thought it was interesting. Uh, you know, the Falcons that that year they got to the Super Bowl, they did steamroll the Packers. Yeah, in the NFC Championship yeah, game. that was the last game in the history of the Georgia Dome, and it was so much fun oh, to watch because Julio had probably his best game as a Falcon. Not because he racked up the most yards, but just because every time he, stats. Uh, I think it was close to 200 yards on the uh, 200 wow. yards in the air, but it, it felt like watching that game. Every time you threw the ball in Julio Jones' direction, he was going to catch it no matter where he was. Wow, uh, I, okay. You know, I, it was one of the more impressive Julio Jones games we've seen, uh, and it's one that I'm going to remember for a long time. It's, you know, it's, the less we say about that season, the better. I'm going to start crying if we talk about the Super Bowl again because I, oh, I, I was lucky enough to go to the round, bef- the divisional round against the Seahawks, and watching the way that team played, watching the defense, Keanu Neal, Deion Jones, Grady Jarrett. Uh, watching those guys go to work was uh, so much fun. Uh, and then offensively, obviously, what's that? Incredible. Oh, yeah. It? No, such a great game. And and Russell Wilson is still, he's one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. But, you know, Matt Ryan and the Falcons outplayed him. Simple yeah. as that. So, yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah. But the less we talk about that season, the better. Uh, moving on yep. to the Premier League, though, because there is a yep. pretty significant talking point that I do want to I do want to get to before anything else. Um, and that is uh, Liverpool. Yeah. The the focus right now in in England is on yep. Liverpool, and rightly so because they're the defending champions, and they just had a streak of what was it, sixty four games uh, unbeaten at home, whatever it was, sixty three, maybe sixty eight unbeaten. Anyways, yep. a long time since they lost at Anfield since April of twenty seventeen against yep. Crystal Palace, and honestly. Yeah, this is I'm going to get to this in my hot takes, but it's it's so reactionary and it drives me insane because everyone's talking about, yes, they haven't scored a goal in four games in the league. Yes, that's well, that's understood. You know, these things happen. We're apparently in our worst form under Jurgen Klopp. But I think the thing that people need to understand is that this man led them to a league title, the first Premier League title and the first top flight title in 30 years. So. Pardon my yeah. French, but give that man a fucking break. Like, yeah. seriously, you have to understand that peaks and valleys are a part of not just life, but every single sport. You can't possibly hope to say that in a pandemic that Liverpool, with the financially stringent owners that they have, yeah. are going to be able to say, you know what, in this in this pandemic, we don't care. We just want you to win. Here's 200 million pounds. I'm looking at you, Manchester City. Right. Uh, it's just not possible. And so, yes, you want 
the team to go and and get a center back in the market because of the injuries to Gomez and Van Dyke. But honestly, it it's just it it's not. 100% in Klopp's control. He can only tell the players what to do. He took responsibility for the loss, of course. He said uh, in his post-match press conference, he said, yeah. you know, I tell the pl- I give the players information and maybe I didn't give them the right ones. Uh, yeah. This is my fault. Uh, yeah. But, you know, we're, we're going to get back to it. We're just going to, you know, go back to the drawing board and try to be more decisive in, you know, yeah. the, the big moments. And I think there's just so much so much that rides on every single win draw and loss that it's just like, dude, it's one game. Calm down. And yes, of course they've gone forward without scoring a goal. That's warranted. And they're six points off the top. That's not Not impossible. It's not, it's with half a season to go. Six points is nothing. There's so much time. Yeah. And, and for people to say, Oh, the the title defense is gone. What? No. No, no, I'm sorry. The title defense is gone when someone else is holding the trophy. That's, Sure. That's no, literally that's right. the attitude it's you have true. to have in sports. Right. Sure. Yes, and obviously I talk about not getting your hopes up, but you know that's not in the biggest game of the year. This is not a, this is a league season, not like the final of a game of a of a tournament, sure. if you will. So mm-hmm. really, it, it's just it drives me insane listening to people say, "Oh, Klopp's finished, Klopp out." Uh, right. You know, bring no, in bring in five center backs that cost oh. fifty million pounds each. No, we're not Manchester no, I mean- City. No, no, that's ridiculous talk. And it's, you know, you cannot expect, you cannot blame for them not signing players. However, it's interesting you bring that up because I actually do have one, I mean, who am I to say this, but like, I do actually have one criticism of Klopp, which is that one, so one area, which I don't think as an armchair analyst that he did very, he's done very well this season is So it's definitely true. They don't have the funds in the pandemic to sign players, but in a particularly in a can, when you factor in the, the condensed season and you factor in coming off a title fatigue physically and mentally, it's just, it's just so tough. And my biggest criticism of Klopp is that he doesn't like to rotate a squad. And my point is that, he has the last couple games, a little bit. You know, um, in the um, Manchester United game, um, Shakiri came in and started. Um, last game, you know, Origi came in and um, Oxlade-Chamberlain came in. I believe Oxlade-Chamberlain was in the Man United game, if I'm not correct. But so my criticism is, I actually do want to criticize Klopp a little bit. And you can, I'm curious what you think. Because first of all, um, I'm going to say two things. Number one is that you have a, you you while you can't bring in new players, you still have a fairly deep squad. Mm. I've always wanted to see more Origi, and I've wanted to see more Minamino, and I've wanted to see more Shakiri and Oxlade Chamberlain. I think they can provide a much needed spark. Um, so not only to freshen up the squad, but just um, you know you can't expect them. You know Origi missed a couple chances, but. You know, when's the last time Origi played? So you can't expect Origi mm-hmm. to be sharp if, yep. he, if he sat on the bench the whole season. And then the second thing I want to say is, like, I want to talk about Firmino for a second. Mm. You know, I look at Firmino, to be honest with you, you can say I'm a closet Firmino hater if you want. That's fine. Go for um, it. I look at Firmino the way I look at Lamar Jackson in a little bit of a sense. You know, Lamar Jackson, 95% of the games is good enough to win with throwing slants over the middle and with his legs. But there comes a time in 5% of those games 
in the regular season and, you know, deeper into the playoffs where you simply have to be able to throw down the field and he can't do it. And my issue with Roberto Firmino is, look, he has the talent. He scores some goals. But my issue is, you know, there is a small fraction of the games when you're going through on a form or you're in a game, a competitive game, that's really important, where you just have to say, you know, um, Sal and Mane can't score every game. He has to score. And he's never proven, obviously, the ability to score consistent goals. And particularly when you got the bench like Origi, who, say what you want, not nearly the player as Firmino is, but has a pretty good goal-scoring record. I mean, you know, and you look, think about two seasons ago, right, when he, uh, you know, scored almost almost left into a title with all those big losses. It's just, and even then, it's like, you know, I think um, Oxlade-Chamberlain, I think Origi got subbed off uh, against Burnley too. So it's just like, mm. give these guys a little bit of a full game or just a little bit of a run of games. And it's just like, I wish Klopp would use the squad depth because he really does the use that as little as any of the managers of the big clubs other than Mourinho. So that's a, what do you think of? No, I don't, I don't disagree at all. I I think it's, it's something that I'd like to see as well, personally, because I, I personally think Origi's a better player than maybe a lot of people give him credit for. Uh, yeah. Not just because he scored goals in big games, but just because of of the physical attributes he has. And I think we'd see something similar to Lukaku if he were to go abroad to Italy or France or Spain or what have you. Yep. That said, Klopp is very stubborn, and he probably admits this occasionally, but he is stubborn in the way that he wants the team to play. He wants the team to be able to press and counterpress. And when it comes down to it, Klopp does not rate Origi as a counterpresser. He rates him as a goal scorer, maybe, or as a big, strong center forward. But he's not someone who's going to press and have the intelligent movement of Firmino. And as a result, you can get a little one-dimensional if you keep using the same players over and over. Adding in the fact that there's no preseason, adding in the fact we're in a pandemic, adding in all the other external factors that go yeah. into what the Premier League is right now and what Liverpool is right now. But I think at the end of the day, you have to understand also with Oxlade-Chamberlain and Shakiri specifically, they were both hurt for a while. And so having them come back from injury and immediately have to come into a Man United game or start a Man United game or start against Burnley for Shakiri, you know, you're, you're being asked a lot having not you know not having a lot of, of match fitness or sharpness and it's it's out of necessity that Klopp is making these these changes it's not because he wants to play Origi and Oxlade Chamberlain uh, Origi through the center Oxlade Chamberlain wide and Mane on the left it's not because he wants to because he has to because he understands there's a lot of games coming up a lot of really tough games coming up against big opponents Man United on Sunday in the in the FA Cup uh, Spurs and City I believe in the next six as well yeah Spurs away uh, city at home. Wow. <laughs> so there's a lot of games coming up that, you know, Klopp does know what he's doing. He's done this before. Um, people are saying, oh, this is like when Dortmund, his Dortmund team collapsed. Uh, n- no, because the, th- the the thing with that Dortmund team is they didn't have the resources that Liverpool do now. And that's the thing people have to remember before getting so wrapped up in, in what happened, you know, what happened when things went wrong in Germany in yeah. 2014. You know, so again, I I would say there's an element of caution that Liverpool fans have to have. I am guilty of this as well, but you know, after the result, I was really kind of just like, ah, what is this team doing? This feels like you know the Brendan Rodgers era again. We can't score goals. We can't do this and that. But ultimately, you have to contextualize it. 
Liverpool just won the league for the first time in 30 years. Won the Champions League the season before. This is probably the best squad we've had for a few years consistently since certainly 2008, 2009, when it was led by Torres and and Gerrard. But again, you just have to, you have to take the bigger picture into account, not just the little bit of, oh, they haven't scored in four games or they lost at home for the first time in 1300 days. It's more so a team wins a title. They're going to go through ebbs and flows. It's more likely to happen in this scenario, and they can't go out and rectify a clear issue in their defense because they don't have the resources for it. Now, you could say, well, then why is why is Fabinho playing center back when you have Nat Phillips and and Reese Williams to to cover at center back? Well, it's because Fabinho has turned into the most solid choice at center back because Matip can't stay healthy, and Williams and Phillips just don't have the experience uh, to to be consistent starters at this level. That's fair. At the same time, people don't realize how crucial Gomez and Van Dyke's injuries are. Because yeah. if Gomez and Van Dyke are starting, as they probably would, I, I personally don't think Gomez should start as much as he does, but that's for another discussion entirely. If Van Dyke and Gomez play, Fabinho plays in front of them as a number six, right? He shields them. Mm-hmm. He's the defensive stability that the team yeah. really need. Then who plays in front of Fabinho in the midfield three? In an ideal situation, given the squad this year, Everyone's fit. Everyone's healthy. It's Thiago and Henderson. Yeah. And that yeah. midfield three, I think, is a lot more solid consistently than what the midfield is these days. Because sure. you take Fabinho out of the equation, and you have to put someone like Thiago, who's not a natural number six. Yes, he can be a deep line playmaker, but that's not necessarily what he's best at. Mm-hmm. Uh, Henderson can do the same thing again, but it's not what he's best at. And so that puts more burden on the front players to score. That puts more pressure on the fullbacks to also contribute in assists or or even goals. So it becomes a a issue that spirals a little bit because you're missing probably uh, the best defender in the world. And that has more of an impact than people, I think, are realizing. Because this year on set pieces, Liverpool are pretty predictable. They haven't been as good as they were last year. Last year, the reason they were so good on set pieces is because they have a six foot five monster who's probably going to head head the ball in the back of the net every yeah, single time if he gets a free header. Yeah, so, so really, it's I said when Van Dyke went down, don't don't worry about the title defense. You know, focus on other stuff. You know, seasons it, it is what it is. Whatever, won the league last year. It's fine. I'm not necessarily saying the title defense is gone given the way they played. They've they've outperformed what I thought they would do this so far this year, Liverpool. I thought they were going to be much worse than they are. They're six points really? off the top halfway through. Yeah. They're six well, points off you, the top. I Let's mean, calm down now. You, even when you factor in the actual number of points that... Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I don't think there's any reason for panic right now. If they're outside the top four, if they're sixth with two games to go, yeah, no, then I'm panicking because Liverpool should not ever miss out on the Champions League. Okay. They're just too big of a club to, to miss out. I mean, you win so the, they, you win the what, tournament six you times, think, you can't miss it. What do you think they can do about it, Owen? What, what do you think are the solutions? Well, if someone has fairy dust or, or a spare ACL they don't need, they can donate it to Virgil van Dyke. Um <laughs> No, in all seriousness, I think it's just, it's a question of just, you know, the team going through a pause. It's whenever the next international break is or whenever there's a a lull between competitions, whether it's, you know, eight or nine days in between. I think it's, it's tough when we're not in a pandemic, but if, if we were in a, you know, a, you know, regular times, if you will, then Klopp probably would have taken his team to Spain 
for warm weather training and to just get out of out of England and get them to mentally refresh. That's what's made the team so successful the last few years is because occasionally during the year, every now and again, Klopp will take his team to somewhere warm. They'll get a few days of training in. They'll relax. They'll work. But mostly they'll recharge mentally so they can go back to being yeah. the mentality monsters that they are. It's just, it's beyond me that people are saying that in a, in a year with a pandemic that is preventing fans from attending games, it's preventing teams from making transfers that we're putting all the blame on one person who does not control any of that. And sure. yes, the players are underperforming. Sure. But what do you expect of a team that just won a title and the it's emotional fair. burden that comes with winning the first title for a city no, that has longed for this yeah. specific trophy for 30 years? I mean, it. Right. I, I think we don't we don't talk about the psychological impact enough. I mean, you saw what it meant to Klopp when they won the league in, in July uh, or sorry, in uh, in June when he broke down crying, talking to the guys on Sky Sports. I mean, it's you have to contextualize it. You just have to. You can't you, you, look at yeah. it as an isolated incident. It's not. No, it's part of a bigger pandemic. It is. But but to, you're no, you're all the things you said are absolutely right. But in terms of the last thing you said, um, I think that's why I do have some criticism of Klopp because it is so hard in sports to repeat as champions. Mm. It's so hard. And that's why people talk about freshening up the squad. And so you can't expect Liverpool to buy a lot of players, but it's different for those players that played peripheral roles, I think, on the team, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when you're talking about the mainstays of the team, you know, it's probably so hard for them to get back to their peak physical and mental, you know, mentality Mm. and play as hard as they do and be as sharp as they do. But, for the players that still have a lot to prove, that's a way they can, by default, freshen up their squad. And I, I also, I always think that in the case when you're trying to defend a title in sports, you have to force the freshening up. And so that's why I look like Minamino has a, a huge thing to prove. He, he's barely ever gotten a chance at Liverpool. You know, play him more. Like you said, I mean, I, when, you know, obviously they were coming back from injury, right? But Shakiri and Origi are two players that didn't feature a whole lot last season. You know, they also have a lot to prove. You know, I like I I think that you know when he's healthy, you know Jota should play every game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and he hasn't been healthy so, for eight and, weeks. And, and like I just want to say though, it's just like you know, but and that's also my thing though, where it's just like you know, encourages competition and it demands high standards. You know, mm. and it's like for me, I think it's just like too. It's just like. Klopp can, it's harsh, but Klopp can send the message like, look, like, if you're not performing, we can't sit here and struggle like we are. So while it's not a long-terming, like, you know, I'm going to sit you out for a couple games or I'm going to sub you off for a couple games and I'm going to give a couple starts to these other guys, you know? Mm -hmm. And we forget, we forget. I mean, I'll, I'll go back. I mean, you know, these role players, these peripheral players, you know, were huge when Liverpool won the Champions League. I mean, I remember, you know, second second leg against Barcelona, right? Origi and Shakiri played huge parts in that game. What a game. And, what a game. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, um, for me, from a Liverpool perspective, mm. I think that that's one, I think that's arguably the biggest thing that they can do. They can't, like you said, they can't get um, Van Dyke back um and you know 
they can't get their center backs healthy. Um, but what they can do is, is kind of rotate some players in and out and uh, to try to get some more goals at the top. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't disagree at all. I think there's valid criticism of Klopp, and I think he'll acknowledge it too. You know, he even acknowledged pretty recently that yet, yeah, like, I, I was planning on playing Minamino a lot more after, the, especially after the Crystal Palace game, but it yeah, just hasn't happened. And mm-hmm. so, so again, I'll, I'll touch on this a little later. But you look at what's happened to Liverpool this season, the results they've had this season: losing seven to two at Aston Villa, sky is falling, everything's going to everything's mm-hmm. everything's ending, the world's ending, whatever. 7-0 against Crystal Palace. Oh my God, the champs are back. We're going to repeat as champions again. Losing for the first time in four, almost four years at Burnley. Oh my God, the sky is falling again. We're halfway through the season. We're six points off the top. Let's let's take a beat here. These things happen. Mm-hmm. It's, there was a time when I believe it was Mane could not score a goal if his life depended on it. Mm-hmm. And you know how Klopp handled the situation? He just had a conversation with Mane. He just said, yeah, you know, this is life. It happens. Don't press. Just, you know, keep doing what you're doing. The results will come. Yeah, absolutely. Klopp has always been a results-oriented manager. Or, sorry, not a not a results-oriented manager. A process-oriented manager. Process and relationship. Yes, process and relationship. He doesn't care about the stat. He doesn't care about the results uh, as much as pundits do or as much as fans do. Because that's not his job. His job is to get the best out of his players. And yep. his method of doing that is by getting the best performance out of each player yeah. and maximizing their strengths. So, sure. again, it goes part of it. Part of that, yes, I understand the criticism of Klopp and I don't disagree with it. But at the same time, you have to take that criticism with the fact that this is a very, very strange season. And it is. Yeah. I'll talk about this a little bit later in the, in the end of the show. But... <laughs> Sometimes you just got to sit back and be like, you know, it is what it is. That's it. Yeah. It's all there is it to is. it. And this year, it is what it is. And this is to be expected. I don't think there's any larger concern about Liverpool. I just mm-hmm. think it's a poor run of games. The only thing is, you know, when you have a poor run of games like this, right, they go from top of the table to now, in, you know, in fourth, I think. So mm-hmm. it's, it is, you know, in a season, it's, I don't think it's a larger concern, but it is the kind of thing that could potentially cost them the title. You know, yeah. if we look back on the season, we could say this five, six games was the reason why they lost the title. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And it's it's one of those things that's crying over salary. It's, oh, boo-hoo, you didn't retain the title. Whatever. You still won the title last year. You're still defending champions. You get that yeah. gold patch on your shirt for an entire yeah. season. Just yeah. look at that gold. Like, it's gold because you won the years before. Remember that. Don't necessarily yeah. sleep on your laurels and don't no. just go into the next season lazy, especially in the Premier League because you can get relegated. But just understand that you did something remarkable. And at some point in every part of life, you're going to regress to the mean. Yeah. At every single part. I cannot stress that enough. And football is no different. Plain yeah. and simple. It's no different. It's a part of life. So yes, it is, yeah. for, for Liverpool fans listening to this, if you can't get over it, I'm sorry. I'm going to sleep just fine. What do you expect for them to do in the second half of the season? Where, where do you ultimately think they end up? I think they'll be top four. I, I don't think they're going to win the title. It doesn't really matter to me, though. They, they well, don't win the title. Sure. They'll be top four. Sure. But, you know, okay. it's so hard to retain the standard. And, you know, that's why Man City's accomplishment a couple of years ago is so good because going back to back is so tough especially in a league where there's there's no real parity anymore, especially the way City and Liverpool have started the season. So 
it's it's half tempering expectations for the defending champions, but it's also part like uh, it, it, we're in a pandemic. This is a one-off season. So many so many weird things have happened this season. So just don't expect anything. Just throw your expectations away. Just not even not even put them away. Just throw them away. Burn them. Shred them. I don't I don't know. Get rid of your expectations. It's fine. It's gonna be fine. Just okay. uh, like this is not a team battling relegation. This is not West no, Brom. No. This is not gonna be Sheffield fine. United. This is and this is not. I completely agree. This is not like Klopp's seventh season at Dortmund, where you know it was. You know they they did rally to have a good finish, but it what it's not going to get that bad. It's it's just a four hundred games. I expect them to bounce back and be very good for the rest of the yeah. season the resources they have this is not a team that is just going to go on that string of results yeah. they have too much quality in this team this team is far better than that Dortmund team I'm sorry it's far better yeah. I mean you think of the players on that Dortmund squad who were at the club for more than three years it's not a long list I no. mean Gutza after they played in the Champions League final was off to Bayern uh, Lewandowski season after that off to Bayern yeah uh, Royce always injured yeah. Mats Hummels off yeah. to buy, uh, he was there. Yeah. Then he went off to Bayern. Then he came. Now he's back. Yeah. Uh, you know, really, it's it's Marcel Schmelzer. I think is the only mainstay of that Dortmund team. And yeah, Vaden for, for a few like, years. What, 14, 15 something years. like that. Yeah. So yeah. The, the point is, this is a much better team than those Dortmund teams yeah. were. And yeah. you have to acknowledge that that's a different situation to the situation Liverpool are in right now. England is a different animal altogether. The league is very different. It's not, you know. Those kinds of things can happen, sure, in any sport, any given situation. But it, it's, again, you got to temper expectations big time. It drives me insane to read all these these rumors and these articles. Uh, uh, Klopp's job is in jeopardy. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. That's absurd. It's it, people wanting him gone are the same people who are like, oh, we lost one game. Better become a Man United fan because they're top of the table. No, leave, no, no, leave, kindly leave and never come back. You're right. It is complete overreaction. Yeah. Here. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely Speaking of right. overreactions, though, I want to get to these next these next few teams before we talk about our hot takes. Uh, Chelsea lost yeah. at Leicester, so I, I don't I don't mean to say this to rub salt in the wound, but mm. what was it about a month ago? Chelsea kept six clean sheets, six seven clean sheets in a row. Yeah, they were flying. Goals were coming from all over the pitch. The team was playing well, top of the table, and now here they are towards mid table. And this yeah. is one of those classic examples of people just straight up overreacting to the smallest things. Yeah, it's the first half of the season. Teams are gonna they're gonna have good runs. They're gonna have bad runs. It's just part of the game. And yeah. Lampard, yes, has come under criticism with the way he's handled the new signings. And I'll be yeah. interested to get your take on on what you think of the team right now, as it is, especially after that performance. But honestly, like it, Chelsea, are still gonna compete for top four. If they miss out on it, it'll be because I finished fifth. I mean, they're they're yeah. probably too talented to to not be in that conversation. And I think it's if you're a Chelsea fan, it's just hey, second half of the season, it's a new ball game. Yeah. Um. You know what, Owen? I think. Um. Well, I think there's two sides of it. I, I think, on one hand, I think you're absolutely right. I think this is an overreaction. It's just a poor run of games, like you said. Up until that, Chelsea was you know right there at near the top. So I think that, you know, Chelsea will finish right around the top four. I absolutely agree. Um, it is an overreaction in terms of talking about Lampard losing his job and, you know, is the team 
washed. I mean, that being said, I, I do think it's true. The team does have holes, and you know they they were never ready to be title contenders. So I think the one thing this showed was that this team was not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, but I think that this is you know it's a it's a case where um, look there are there are definitely some there are some structural issues mm-hmm. um, that the team needs to fix in the midfield. And in the defense, but I think the story right now is similar to very similar to Liverpool. It's really the attacking play. They can't get any any of their front three going except for Giroud. But you know, Lampard doesn't want to play Giroud all the time because you know he wants Abraham and Timo Werner to get going. But you know, it, it's really a story of Chelsea really you know struggling to create offense. And it's very similar to Liverpool. You know. When you have a team that um, doesn't get a lot of goals from their midfield, it place a lot of emphasis on the front three. Mm. And, you know, Chelsea's front three have been pretty much everyone except for Drew has either been injured or really out of form. So I think that's the story. Um, and I was very disappointed with the performance against Leicester. Um, and I actually do have some concerns about Lampard in general and the way the team is set up in the long run. But in the short run, I don't think it's a big deal, and I think they'll get back on track soon. Yeah, uh, I am not overly concerned about Chelsea not challenging for top four. I think the yeah. the concerns I think are overblown. That said, you you do raise the the same critiques that I have about the team, um, particularly how they set up defensively and how they're organized yeah. defensively or, or a lack thereof. Um, yeah. it, both of the Leicester goals, there there never, wasn't really any sort of organization uh, or positional awareness by any of any any of the defenders. Um, yeah, and and on the other end of the pitch, you know, I I don't really want to be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy. Uh, I'm my takes look pretty good when it comes to Timo Werner, and I've talked about this in our group chat yeah, as well. Yeah. Uh, it's looking pretty yeah. good because because I don't think people understand. Number one, when he was linked to Liverpool, that's the big one. People were saying, "Oh, he's gonna he's gonna start in place of of Roberto Firmino." No, he was never going to start if he played at Liverpool. He was never going to start. He was going to come off the bench. He was going to be the super sub. You know, 50 million pounds for a super sub is not something that Liverpool are ready to pay. Uh, it, it, you know, maybe, oh, they play him up top and they play Firmino underneath. Not necessarily, because Klopp, I think, understands and he would have done his due diligence. And I think other managers know this too, having to scout Werner for their upcoming games against Chelsea. Timo Werner is one of those players who he is a one trick pony. He is good at one thing and one thing only, and that is running in behind on counterattacks. Or yeah. running in behind the back line. If you yeah. play a high line, Timo Werner is going to try to run in behind you. And that's fair. That's something yeah. that he was very good at with Leipzig. And he was very good at uh, for, um, you know, at least in flashes when he first, you know, first started Chelsea. Yeah. He was running in behind, winning penalties, and he had this clever movement in and around the box. But people are starting to find him out that he is, he is a one-trick pony. He is pacey, and he's a quick dribbler. And that's about it. Yeah. He's not great in tight spaces. He doesn't have the the classic kind of drop deep center forward false number nine ability, and he's not the big aerial six foot four no. center half center forward either. Right. So, and and if you watch him play for the national team too, he doesn't score a whole lot for them either, because right. the way Germany yeah. tend to play under Yogi Love is not necessarily uh, runners in behind. It's fullbacks yeah. high up the pitch, center forwards doing pretty much everything 
except for use their head. It's positional sense. And that's the reason Germany has struggled. We can talk about this on a later episode, but Germany have struggled recently because Thomas Muller doesn't play as much. He is the key that makes yeah. them that makes them go He's because of still. his his yeah. movement, his positional sense is probably the best in the world of, yep. of any of any player right now. I think there you'd be yeah. hard pressed to name three who were better. No, he's he's incredible. Um, I'm surprised he's not on the national team or they they won't call him back. Yeah, they're. Um, I don't know what they're doing with him and Boateng and Hummels, but it's it's stupid. Yeah, I I um I agree on. I mean, honestly, in thinking about it, I think you were dead right. The prediction looks great, and you know, unless it looks like he's going to have to try playing at center forward, but even then, you struggle to think about how that's going to work, and so, um. Well, I think his, you know, finishing has been bad, and that'll get better. Um, it does not look like very promising no. for, for for him. And and the thing the thing I'll caution you with is, you have to see if Lampard is the kind of manager who can take raw, unrefined talent and make them better. Because well, I think, go, ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say when when Salah first got to Liverpool, he was only scoring because he was getting three, four, five chances a game to score. And they were good chances too because yeah. he's fast. He's not a good finisher. He's gotten yeah. better. He's worked at it because Klopp has put him in a position to do so. Yeah. And Klopp has realized that he gets that little more sharpness as a finisher. He's going to be one of the best in the world. And he has become one of the best in the world for that very reason. Yeah. Mane was kind of the same thing. Unrefined talent who Klopp turned into a world-class finisher. Mm-hmm. It's this. It's can Lampard do that with Timo Werner? And the mm-hmm. sample size is small, yes, but it doesn't look great, honestly, for for no, refining you're, you're, raw talent. You're, you're absolutely right, and I think that's the big question. I think Lampard's done a really good job with a lot of the younger players, and I think that he will protect Werner. But um, you're absolutely right. Um, he hasn't had to do this with the star player yet. And so I'm curious, you know, to see, to see what happens there. But I, I think he can, he's gotten a lot out of the players we have, I think. And so individually. And so, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, and you know, they, they spent a lot of money in, in, and the other thing I think that's important to point out too, is Chelsea in the middle of a pandemic, you know, spent 300 million pounds. Mm. And so when you look at that, the amount of money they spent on Werner and Havertz, you know, it's like in the middle of a pandemic, not only is that a lot of money, I mean, even Chelsea might not have enough money to really spend that much in the future. So if these two, if you're not going to get a lot of two out of these players, it's like, man, like that really hamstrings your team going forward. So absolutely. Yep. Yep. No, I think but I, I want to say one thing real quick, which yeah. is that as, as bad as Werner has been, he has scored some. He scored some goals early and looked dangerous. Um, he has all the talent in the world, but Havertz looks. I mean, awful. Like Werner looks dangerous in glimpses, and you know, he does look really poor at times. But he also has moments where he gets in the good positions and he doesn't finish, or he's just a little offside, or he's just gets into good positions in the final third and he just can't quite get his like shot off. So you can see glimpses with Havertz. There's nothing. 
Like, mm. it could not have started any worse. He looks awful when he plays. And so I think he's, like I said, all the town in the world, I think he's, it doesn't have anything to do with the player. I just think it's been a, a horrible start. And I worry with a player like him is his confidence is going to drop. I mean, Chelsea's tried him everywhere. They've tried him along the front as a side. They've, they've tried him in the center of the midfield. They've tried him uh, on the wing, um, like in the midfield three. So it's like, you know, if I were Chelsea, I would just sit him down for a while and just protect him and not play him until he can help himself. You know? Yeah, I agree. And I think it'll be a testament to Lampard's um, man management is how he handles Kai Havertz because you're yeah. right. There, There's a bit of an issue with the, you know, where, where is he going to play? How is he playing? What's what's the, you know, what's what's the big deal right now? What's what's going on? Ultimately, he's going to be fine. I still think he has the potential to be one of the best in the world, uh, one of the best in Premier League history, potential-wise. Yeah. Whether he lives up to that is is not entirely up to him. It's up to circumstance. Yeah. Can he stay healthy? He hasn't. I mean, he was he had COVID for a while. Uh, he's adapting yeah. to a new country, new league, uh, new yeah. language. So there's a lot of elements that go into it. Um, but that said, I I would liken him to you know not to keep this about Liverpool, but I'd liken him to a younger Van Dyke. The criticism of Van Dyke when he was young, the talent was there. But mentally, he would always switch. He would coast through games, and that would cost him. Right. It's the mental concentration that is required for the Premier League. And Van Dyke yeah. got to figure this out in the yeah. Dutch League and at Southampton. Yeah. He, yep. he didn't. He didn't just develop this overnight. This was years of playing in the Dutch yeah. League and refining his his and playing for Celtic as well. So, yeah. I would honestly caution. You know, anyone who's like, oh, he's never going to be the same player. It, it just depends on what opportunities he has. Absolutely. And going to, from Bayer Leverkusen, one of the biggest clubs in Germany, to great one of the biggest club. clubs in England. Yeah. yeah. Leverkusen's a great club, yeah. but you're going to Chelsea, a team that's that's won the league recently, has won the Champions League recently. I mean, we're talking about one of the top clubs in the world. And if you go to that club, the scrutiny is going to be laser focused on you if you are not performing and you have the price tag of whatever whatever it was 70 80 million it's a lot of money and you know rightly so but i think potential still there just needs to work on the mental acuity especially in a new league and you have to give him time i mean i think rushing a player in a young player in like that is a little foolish because you're expecting them to be great and that might not even be the case i really don't think Lampard should have done that. I'm not sure why he did. Yeah. I mean, you think about when when Fabinho came to Liverpool. He wasn't starting consistently until October of that year. Yep. I think it was October 2018. He wasn't starting consistently for months. Yeah, remember they were talking about why is he not playing? Mm-hmm. But talk about that. Like, yeah. Is he going to get a chance to play? And now he he you can't get him out of the team. Even when yep. Van Dijk and Gomez are, are healthy because then he'll just play as a number six. Uh, mm-hmm. You talk about Oxlade-Chamberlain as well. Oxlade-Chamberlain was kind of in that same position where he signed from Arsenal. He'd already been in England, but he has to adapt to an entirely new system. And that's something that Klopp and his coaching staff are are keenly aware of. And it's something that I think they do particularly well. Other players like Jota just hit the ground running because they already have the the raw ability that is required of of someone in in that system. With with other players, though, sometimes it, it takes time, especially if you're coming from another league. So I, I would seriously, I, I really do want to caution folks who are, are quick to to jump on on Havertz right now. I mean, he, he's what? He's 21. He, he, 
he will he will get better. He is one of the most talented youngsters in the world. You know, yeah. there's a difference between being a talented right now and producing right now versus being talented when you're in your prime. So yeah. will he reach his potential? I, I personally hope so because I like what he brings to the table from a pure football perspective. That said, it's it's not entirely up to him. It, mm-hmm. it, a big part of it is up to how much does he want it? How much does he want to be successful? But another part of it is also the system he's in and the co- and the team he's in, the situation he's in. Mm-hmm. So, I, I completely agree with what We you could said go on that. and on about this for hours. Yeah, sure. Uh, I do want to talk about Manchester City pretty quickly because they're back at yeah. uh, they're back in second uh, with a game in hand behind United by two points. Uh, you got to assume based on the recent form they'll win the game. Um, yeah. De Bruyne is out with a hamstring injury and Aguero has COVID, so they are lacking a couple players. But it's Manchester City; they're never lacking in quality. They'll be fine. I th- I still think they're going to win the league this year. I think United will make it interesting, but it'll be United and City. I think battling for the title with. Liverpool. I think right now the top four is going to stay as is. Yeah. Uh, maybe not in this order, um, but Leicester look much more solid than they did last they season. Do. Yes, they've lost five games, but mm-hmm. they just look like a better side than they did last year. More consistent yeah. anyway. Sure. So, yeah. Interesting to uh, to think about all these. We talked a lot about transitions and and new clubs and whatnot and and people being just so hyper reactive to the smallest things and that's that leads me into our hot take segment because sure. i alluded to this earlier and i want to hammer it home right now in like a minute or so so yeah. sports media the reactionary nature of it is abysmal mm. it's pure it's truly abysmal because you, I mean, Klopp said it in his press conference yesterday. It's like no, or on Wednesday night before uh, before Thursday, he said teams don't have time anymore. You know, all of a sudden yeah. you you win you win two games in a row and you're going to win the league and you lose two games in a row and you're going to get relegated. I mean, what what is the what is the rush to come to a conclusion through halfway halfway through a season? And I get it. There's a a, a monetary incentive to mm-hmm. to create headlines that get clicks and get likes and get shares and and that make mm-hmm. money. I get that. I, I really do. Mm-hmm. But there is a time and a place to panic. And it is never, ever, ever in the month of December, January, February in the Premier League. Never. March, April, May. That's when you start to panic. If you yeah. are facing relegation, it's a different story. But these are not teams facing relegation. These are title contenders. Well, the title race I, doesn't start until March. Effectively. Sure. Last year was, was yeah, an anomaly. It doesn't start yeah. until March. So let's and and we talk about this with almost all of the big clubs. We talked about this earlier in the season with Manchester United. The sky is falling. They lost six one to Spurs. Uh, uh, they got knocked out of the Champions League, so they're in the right. Europa League again. Uh, everything's bad. They're top of the league now. Okay, Manchester City. Oh my God, uh, they're off to a horrible start. They're mid table now. What are we gonna do? They're second yeah. right now with a game in hand. Arsenal. Oh my God, they're gonna get relegated. The sky is falling. Blah, 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 blah. How many games have they won in a row? Four? Yeah, uh, more, I think. Yeah, they, they, Arsenal are on a really good run right now. Chelsea, oh, we're top of the league. Yeah, six clean sheets in a row. All of a sudden, oh, my God, mid-table, everything's everything's done. Uh, uh, we're losing. Liverpool, oh, yeah. my God, we lost to Aston Villa 7-2. Beats Crystal Palace 7-0. Oh, my God, we're top of the league again. Uh, yeah, we're going to win the league again. Loses. Uh, loses one game at home to Burnley, not scoring in four in the league. Oh my God, everything's bad again. The sky's falling. Uh, we're going to lose. Yeah, we're going to get relegated again. Let's, can we all just collectively agree to just 
calm down and just not panic in January, please. Like it, it it's yeah. it's just mind-boggling how people can assume that something that happens in January is going to have any bearing on how the season ends in May. Like yeah. please let us just calm yeah. down. I think, I please. Think I think you you hit the nail right in the head. I think that the overreaction on European soccer is absolutely ridiculous. I I think it's, it's such a so interesting and so accurate. And like you said, I think it all comes back to what you're saying at the beginning about the monetary incentive. You know, teams don't want to miss out on on European competition spots, and they certainly don't want to get relegated. And so there's always going to be that added pressure. But you're absolutely right to you know assume form wise that a team's never get under control or like game the game that this team is like really good and then has a few bad games and all of a sudden they're really bad it is completely mm-hmm. ridiculous yeah and i'm glad you said that i think it's so important to point out like do people do people realize that like there's a reason they play 162 games in baseball there's a reason they play 82 yep. in the nba there's a reason they play 16 in the nfl there's a reason yep. they play 38 in the premier league it's it's because you can't decide who's the best at something when you have a ridiculously small sample size. Yes. Baseball was an exception because they had a shortened season. Yes. The NBA bubble is another thing, but that's, you know, that's not a normal year. This is, this is COVID. This is a different situation. Yeah. We just have to understand that there is, there is more to it than what happens in three or four games in a row in a 38 game season. There are 38 games. They've played 19 or 18. Yeah. Calm down. Yeah. Please, and, and right. please. In March, in March, we'll have a better idea of what we're going to see. Uh, it's so just, uh, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it the most. I hate it so much. Sports media in Europe specifically with the Premier League is abysmal. It's the worst. Yeah, I I completely, it, it's so bad, bro. It's like they get so carried away. I think Man United's the perfect example of it, like you said. It looked like there's, you know, people were saying, oh, their season's going to collapse. And all of a sudden, now everything's great. So it, it's, you know, it's absurd. Um, I, I completely agree. The second, the second thing, and this is, this is a quicker take, but I was reading this article on ESPN FC before, uh, before we hit record on this, uh, this podcast. And, it's an article about how VAR decisions have affected every Premier League club in, in this season. And they did a complete list of all the VAR decisions that have gone both for and against every club. And uh, the results are probably not going to surprise you. Uh, so the team that has benefited the most, i.e. they've had the most calls overturned in their favor, uh, Everton with plus three. Okay. Against, if this comes as a surprise to you, I don't know what to tell you other than you haven't been watching, uh, is Liverpool with minus five. Five decisions have gone against Liverpool. Uh, more or five, have, five more than have gone right. You know what I mean. They've, mm-hmm. they've lost that total or, or net this season. So it leads me to believe that certain leagues around sports, not just in England, not just in Europe, have specific agendas or or against certain teams. They say, you know what? They had their fun. They won their title. 
But let's take a close look at, at, at Sadio Mane's toenail. I think his toenail might be offside. Let's take a look at that. Or maybe one armpit hair is offside. Hmm. Let's take a look at that. Oh, but Hyungman Son is offside by the same margin. Now oh, we don't need to look at yeah. it. He's fine. He's onside. It's fine. So it leads me to believe that officiating is more deliberate than we give it credit for. It's much more deliberate than that. And I, I don't, I don't think for a second that it is not intentional, especially in Europe. Wow. Because of a one Real Madrid. If you think Real Madrid are miraculously winning three Champions Leagues in a row because they're the best team, no. No, they're getting a lot of help from, from someone under the table because, like you and I were talking before about before, all the money that goes into it. So yeah. just a little food for thought. I mean, I don't want to go much further with this take because it's you know it's borderline conspiracy theory and I want to stay away from total conspiracy theories on the, on the show, but I wouldn't be, it, it's a little more intentional than people realize, and I think we have to kind of yeah. like, oh, there's, there might be something there. I mean, um, I yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that um, officiating makes a difference, and when the title race is close, it is important that, that this stuff is a factor. Now, <laughs> like you said, whether there's intent or not, I'm not sure, but there's no doubt that the officiating is playing a big, big role in the in the title race this season, and you mm-hmm. know, all over the world, you know. Yep. No so poor one out for Van Dyke's ACL and Tiago's knee. Uh, the challengers both uh, went unpunished. I think Richarlison got sent off, but it, it's like the 80th minute, but he didn't, he didn't get suspended or whatever, whatever it was. Maybe he got a yellow card. Uh, Pickford should have been sent off immediately, but VAR didn't even look at it. So they're just yeah, like, the oh, it's fine. When, when they don't look at plays, I think mm-hmm. that's the worst part. In my yeah. Opinion. Because that's they, what it's there for. VAR is there to at least have the ref check the play. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. They reviewed that play for offside, but because... Because of that, they couldn't review. And there, there has to be some rule about that where, mm-hmm. for special circumstances, they can yep. review whatever you know. Yeah, reckless endangerment of an opponent should always yeah, be right. considered. For player and, safety, you should always be able to review reckless. Endangerment. Right, and and even yesterday's game, Burnley against Liverpool, uh, Fabinho yeah. and Ashley Barnes got into a little bit of it. By the way, Ashley Barnes dove for a penalty. We're not going to yeah. talk about that. That was, uh, was complete penalty, uh, or never a penalty. I'm sorry. Complete okay. BS penalty. Uh, Fabinho and Ashley Barnes got into it after the whistle, and yet they both still ended up with yellow cards. Yeah, after the whistle, you're not. The half is over, but they still they still got punished for it. So that that to me is yeah. is a little bit like let's keep a closer eye on the champions so they don't repeat again. Yeah. So I yeah, I don't know. No, that's food I for mean, thought. Look, that that's that's. <laughs> Look, man, that's possible, but um, I'd love to know what's going through the ref's mind when they make these decisions. I mean, we're all human, right? So yeah. You never know. I mean, you really don't know. Yeah. You know, so that's an interesting semi-conspiracy theory. Yeah, I'll leave you. I'll leave you with this. I'll, I'll turn it over to you so we can get our hot takes done, and so we can get to playing Among Us in a little bit. So, 2017, I believe it was, Liverpool against Tottenham at home. Yeah. Or uh, no, sorry, 2018. Liverpool against Tottenham at home. Uh, end of the game. Tottenham just made it uh, 2-1. Or Tottenham just leveled it. Uh, mm-hmm. Salah scores a worldie for an equalizer. And Tottenham come right down the other end. And um, Eric Lamella is quote-unquote fouled. Penalty. Okay. Okay. No VAR at that point. Uh, penalties given. Carrius saves from Harry Kane, and all's good with the world. 
Then they yeah. get the ball again, and Harry Kane is quote unquote taken down by Dayon Lovren at the time. Okay. So John Moss goes over to his assistant because he gave a penalty first, and he asks his assistant, "Did Lovren touch the ball?" And Moss says, "I don't know. I'm giving a penalty regardless." The conversation was more in depth than that, but it effectively came down to, "Did he touch the ball? I don't know. I'm going to give a penalty regardless." <laughs> Kane scores two two. Wow. City won the title that year. Yes, and it doesn't really matter because it, it, you know, all of that's water under the bridge. But that's just one of the things that's like. Why is it that referees decide to do that? Because they want to make things interesting. The league wants them to make things interesting. They want a title race. They don't want a repeat. They don't want someone to run away with it. They want things wow. to be interesting. And, you know, frankly, I have I have the numbers right in front of me. And I'm I am not lying to you. You can look at this article. It's on it was on the front page of ESPN FC. Liverpool have the most decisions, the net score uh of negative seven, um, with two leading to or it's it's negative five basically so all that put together it's the worst in the league 20 20th out of 20 as far as decision as far as they are helping you 20th out of 20 Mm -hmm. dead last dead last so you have a lot to gripe about there's a little food for thought for you uh i i'll leave it at that i don't want to get too much into conspiracy theories but there you go we can definitely talk about var that's yeah seriously this whole episode on var all right, what are your hot takes? What do you got for us? Yeah, so I got, um, I have three, and I think the last two are pretty hot. All right, let's go particular. for it. So the the first one is, um, I am I am picking um, all four. I'm actually picking, if you count, um, League One, like the French League, as the top, top. Um, like a top, the fifth best league in soccer. I think we're going to see something which maybe never been done before because we're going to see the non-super clubs win all five leagues. So I think, I mean, so if, you, if you're going to count Atletico Madrid, because I'm going to count them, I'm considering them, they're kind of running away with the Liga title. Um, I think that Lille looks pretty good. I think that they're going to squeak out PSG. Um, I'm going with Leipzig. In uh, the Bundesliga. Wow. Yep. I'm That's going a shout. with. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I like that team a lot. Um, in who? Which are the other two leagues? Oh, Serie A. I'm going AC Milan. They're leading the table right mm-hmm. now. They're one of my favorite teams to watch. They're just lot done. Yep. And I'm going with Leicester again in in the Premier League. Wow. I just think they're very consistent. They're not going to fall off this year. So yeah, there you go. Top sweep for all five leagues. Mm, I uh, like it. And it's inter- it is interesting because I will say that um, the broad trend there is that other than Bayern Munich, who still look like the best team, you know, you do see in some of these leagues a lot of the top teams are not quite at their best. Some teams are falling off. So I think that is one thing to watch. We could have a little bit of changing of the guards or just rebuilds in the uh, in the process there. Hmm. Yeah. So, no, I get that. Yeah. I, I don't completely disagree. I think some of them are, are pretty fair shouts. I mean, I, I haven't watched a lot of Serie A, but I know AC Milan have, have you know, been in the conversation more often than not. Uh, yeah. I don't watch any of the French League, so I can't comment on that. The Bundesliga is an interesting one, though, because yeah. you're picking a team to beat Bayern Munich with the resources yeah. and the quality of Bayern Munich in a full season. Yeah. Uh, I think is it's not out of the question, but it's just highly yeah. unlikely because... Yeah, I mean, 
It is yeah. by, it's Bayern Munich. They just won the treble. They are they only got better with Leroy Sané in the off season. Yeah. He hasn't played that well though. He hasn't, but he's too he's too good to not get going yeah. again in a league where he's already played. He already knows what it's like. He's in his home country. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't bet against Leroy Sané getting to his best in the second part of the oh, season. No, um, it's true. It could it could enhance that team. It's true. Spain, uh, I mean, Barcelona are out of out of whack, and it's kind of funny. I'm not going to lie, as a bit of Schadenfreude really from yep. they just haven't been the same since they lost to Liverpool. Um, mm-hmm. And Real Madrid are Real Madrid is. I don't know what's going to happen. They're probably going to finish like third or fourth, and then sign Mbappe in the summer. <laughs> They're going to miraculously find a lot of money and sign Mbappe. Or Zidane will get fired. We'll see. I mean, I feel like they'd be pretty, pretty. Uh, Hesitant to fire Zidane, but well, the, you could see it. The interesting thing about Real Madrid is it seems like I think they're they're always hesitant to fire him. But yeah, it, it seems like you know soccer sort of reactionary. But it's like every time in the league or even the Champions League, like their backs against the wall, they seem to get a result that they want. Yeah. So it was happening. It happened in the Champions League, and early in the season they were struggling pretty bad, and then they got it together, and now they're struggling again. Yeah. So Maybe they get a little help every now and again. Yep. Who knows? Um, but yeah, no, I, I liked it. I like the call. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I like it. So, okay. all right, on your next one. It just in all the interest right. of time. Yeah. So second one is, um, this is an NBA one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, uh, you know, Contavious called a Pope. He's a really good role player for mm-hmm. the Lakers. Yeah. I think he's going to break the all time three point percentage record for a single season. Wow. He's at 56% right now. Um, the all time, is uh 53.6 by Kyle Korver in 29 2010 and then Steve Kerr and actually Tim Legler. Wow. Um and uh 56% is like a remarkable That's clip, crazy. He gets in the offense the Lakers so good he gets open shots he's just on fire. And so I think you're going to see you're going to see it. I mean I haven't watched a lot of NBA this year but I I I'd believe it because of especially yeah. what we saw in the bubble last year when he got hot he could he couldn't miss. And you started yeah. hitting circus shots in, uh, was it game six, the finals? Yeah. He, he, had, so. he had a, and well, game five. Game five, yeah. Or four, four. Sorry, or whatever four. it was, he, he just went it was off. Four. It was incredible, right? Yeah. yeah. So I like it. Okay. I like it. And then the last one is, yeah. you can give me a drum roll. I'm going to predict upcoming. Okay. All right. So I'm going to predict um, upcoming for the MLB season. I'm going to predict the upcoming. Uh, Cy Young and MVP. Oh, all right. And I think that I'm not even sure if these two guys, if you like, could take odds at the casino or even necessarily even be on the list. But I'm going to go out and limb and say, watch for them. Mm-hmm. And I think they could definitely win the MVP. And I'm, you know, I'll pick them. Yeah. So for the Cy Young, I'm going to pick Sandy Alcantara. Wow. I like him. I, when I was at work for the MLB Network, I watched a lot of games, and I really like his pitching style. And he's really – he's still – even though the Marlins were really good this past season, they were still under the radar. And Sandy mm. Contra had a good season. Yeah. Um, they have some – you know, Pablo Lopez is good too, but yeah. um, I'm going to pick Sandy Contra. And for MVP, this is going to come out of left field, but I'm going to pick Luis Arise from the Twins. Wow. Uh, Luis Arise is sneakily – he's one of the best hitters in the MLB. He's literally – a stud. He's maybe like the most 
underrated hitter we've seen. Like he for a player, a really young player, hmm. he's just an incredible hitter. And like last year he was injured a lot. Right. But when he hit, I mean he was incredible. And, you know, if he can get healthy on a twins on this twins team, like if he hits three, you know, twenty, improves his fielding and the twins finish well, like I mm. can see him, you know, winning MVP. But yeah. I think that honestly, like I realistically see Luis Arise and Jordan Alvarez as two guys that could win the MVP, but I'm gonna go with Luis uh Arise. Wow. Those are two incredibly under-the-radar picks, and I like it. I like it a lot. I like Sandy Alcantara as well. I like his stuff. I like his style. I like the ways he goes yeah. about it. Um, he's fun to watch. The Marlins are, I hate to say it, they're fun to watch. <laughs> they're very fun to watch. I, as a Braves fan, I can't say I like it, but the Braves did get farther last year, so you know my take was completely off about the about that Braves not getting as far as the Marlins. Uh, but you know that's yeah. the, that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, the Alcantara pick to win Cy Young though is. Uh, that's bold because he pitches in the same league as Jacob Degrom, and right now yeah. that award yeah, Degrom is, nasty. is kind of Jacob Degrom's. And you have to consider the fact that there is a certain Walker Bueller in the NL, uh, Blake Snell, and you Darvish teammates could win it. Uh, yeah. I mean, Ian Anderson, Max Fried, Mike Soroka. There's a lot. You any know, of the Braves, really? Yeah. Uh, but I like it. You know I like the pick. It's ballsy. Is, um, Zach Gallon's really good too. Zach mm, Gallon. True. Very true. Yeah, no, there's a lot of picks there, but I, he's the kind of guy that's ready to bust out. Yeah. No, I, I like it. I like it. Yeah. So those are two of your uh, under the radar picks. Yeah. Yeah. I like but it. I, yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll go do it. Watch for looser eyes. Watch for looser eyes. Telling you. I mean, throw out another name. I mean, I think we could see another guy. I think could honestly win it is yeah. John Moncada. Yeah, yeah, Moncada could win. He could very well win. Uh, AL MVP. Yeah. Right. So that I mean, damn that. Uh, I, don't know, I think all the young baseball players are really fun, and so yeah, you know, we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. But I will say this: you did hear it from me. I yep. picked Alcantara in her eyes before any of the season happened. Yep. Yep. So you heard it here first. Yep. January 22nd. Mark it down, folks. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Well, I think we had some pretty good takes today. Um, any final thoughts before we uh, wrap it up? We've been going for uh, nope. a little more than two hours, I think. No, nope. uh, that's, that's all I got. Perfect. Well, Willie, thanks for coming on the show as usual. Appreciate yeah, your insight, sure. the fire takes, and, and listening to me rant about how <laughs> English media and just sports media in general needs to calm the hell down. Please, really please, bro, please, 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 yeah. please, please, please. Anyways, this has been episode 29 of Hot Takes Only. We're recording this and posting it a day later than usual, but the same content is there. We'll be back next week at our usual time, uh, Thursday night recording, Friday night release. Uh, so we'll be able to cover the week uh, ahead in baseball and soccer and other sports that we feel like talking yeah. about. We'll preview the Super Bowl next week because the Super Bowl will be decided. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll know who's in the Super Bowl uh, come Sunday yeah. uh, Sunday evening. So, folks, uh, if you want to get in touch with yeah. us, all the social media will be in the description of this podcast wherever you're listening to it. Um, be yeah. sure to uh, you know get in touch with myself and and we'll Willie and I will talk about how to make the podcast better. Answer any questions you have. Uh, like to make it interactive. So uh, be sure to uh, tune in next week as well. Thank you for listening. This has been episode 29 for Willie. This is, and I'm Owen. This has been Hot Takes Only, episode 29. I'll see you next time.